available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everyone, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And this is Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. I think I emphasized site, which I shouldn't do, but whatever. We are the Podcast of Champions. That's what we're talking about. Pac-12 football, Conference of Parity, whatever you want to call it. Any (laughs) given couple-week stretch, any one of these teams can look really good and then not look good after that. But that's what we're going to be talking about you can uh, get a hold of us a bunch of different ways. Email is packedfullpodcast at gmail.com. Our website is packedfullpodcast.com. We got lots of, all our contact information is up there. Uh, all the old shows, our picks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can tweet us at packedfullpodcast. We try to get active on the Twitters. And then we got a bunch of texts. Uh, you can send us voicemails, all in the same number, 424 532 Seven, eight, and David. I, that's what I'm convinced of is that this is a team. This is a conference that any given team is good enough to really look good for like a couple of weeks, but then they are not allowed to look good much after that. Then you got to kind of go off into nothing afterwards. Oregon State's not ready yet. They're good enough to look good for one week. Okay, uh, but everyone else can do at least two weeks. UCLA yes, had a couple too. of weeks. Yeah. yeah, Arizona's had a couple of weeks now. Um, you can do it for two weeks. Um, it's just building on that. That's the thing. It's Every team in the league is capable of at least two weeks and no team in the league is capable of more than four. <laughs> I think you're, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, there's one team that has one loss uh, in conference. Uh, there's one team that has two and everyone else has at least three and some more. Uh, it's a, it's a mess. It's garbage. Should we, ch- should we change the podcast name to either podcast of parody, which I really liked. Was that just straight off the dome? That was good. Uh, I, I think so. Someone, they, I feel like people have suggested that before, but I didn't No, podcast of parody works. I don't think anyone's podcast actually said Podcast of parody that. or add some quotes around champions. <laughs> we just just some quotes. air quotes. That would be good. It would yeah, be awesome if we simulcast the show like on YouTube or something and we would do, we are the podcast of, <laughs> and we did the air quotes. Champions. <laughs> I know. I don't think someone said podcast of parody, but, uh, people were saying conference of, you know, there's a lot of parody words going around because that was the question to, Larry Scott, and if that was the goal, Mr. Woods, uh, we have achieved it. Like there is so much parody. Any given <laughs> the Pac-12 week. South, the Pac-12 South is like it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just it's like they they were like, how do we come up with? They were like in a lab, and they're like, how do we come up with parody? And then they just came up with this little miracle in a petri dish. <laughs> the Pac-12 South, where. And I'm not kidding right now. So sit down for just a second, everyone out there. UCLA could go to the Rose Bowl. Actually, no, I'm not going to say that. UCLA could win the Pac-12 conference, the entire conference at six and seven this year. But then be banned from the Rose Bowl because they have a losing record. But then they would have to get a waiver to go in the Rose Bowl. (laughs) UCLA, you've won the conference, but you are not good enough. You do not qualify for the postseason. That would would be the most... 
That would be, I think, the only way for UCLA to win the conference, such that they don't actually end up in the Rose Bowl where they have been kept out for many, many years. It's now. insane. And it's great. It's beautiful. This is like this is what we do. I spent the weekend uh, mostly golfing. I just decided because I wasn't going to travel to Corvallis. Uh, I was like, do I really want to watch a lot of this stuff? Now I, I went back and watched, but like, I just tried to do as much like non-football stuff this weekend as possible and it's just like the more i was looking at my phone i was watching the pac-12 app and checking things out i'm like this is unbelievable like the the ucla oregon game we'll talk about that all this crazy stuff uh that's been going on in the conference and i just don't know it's hard to make heads or tails of any of it at this point i mean i, I it's like nobody wants to to win this i mean USC might be the freaking favorite to go to the pac-12 south you know they need like they need two teams to lose but they might, like statistically, they might have the, be the favorite to actually win the South right now. I don't think there's a might about it. They have one fewer conference game to play than Arizona State um, and Utah, as we'll get to, without Tyler Huntley. I don't know. I, I, I don't see them emerging unscathed no. at this point. And or- um, Oregon like kind of controls the Pac-12 South because they play the two top teams. So if they beat them, that you know, all kind of chaos can ensue. It's, it's like so bizarre and so out of the national relevancy rating. I mean, there's just nothing going on as far as, I mean, they'll talk about Washington State a little bit because they're eight and one. Like there's, there's, you know, a chance that Washington State can make it through, but you watch them play in Cal and you watch, you know, L- Alabama, LSU. And it's like, I don't see any difference. <laughs> Cal, Cal is Cal is just as talented as LSU and Washington State. You know, they they're they're the Alabama of this league. <laughs> it's so bad. I don't know. We should we, should we just pack up shop and stop? Like we spend hours every week doing this. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's, it's our at fault. Its best. I, I think it's at its best when it's terrible. <laughs> Honestly, I have so much more fun when it's awful. It's <laughs> just this is such like if Washington was like a playoff team and there was like you know like yeah that'd Oregon. be no fun. That's like, no fun. We've talked about Washington. They're boring. Nobody wants that. Washington State being the lone remaining hope for the entire league. Yeah, sign me up for that. It's pretty. I want fun. that every day. It's pretty freaking awesome. Jam that in my veins. I want that all the time. All right. Uh, we have uh, a little bit of. Uh, well, I'll play this. Breaking news. It's not really breaking news, but uh, pack of players of the week always comes out uh, an hour or so before we do the podcast. So, you want to guess who the offensive uh, player of the week was? Should be Eno Benjamin. It was uh, Nikhil Harry. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll take that. So he had nine one of the ASU players. That's good. Yeah, 161 yards, and then uh, yeah, so he was uh, he was uh, three. He had three touchdowns. So I guess that's I don't know. I don't do stats real well, but that seems good. That's Uh, good. Defensively, his teammate Merlin Roberts Robertson. uh, He's a true freshman. Uh, He from Sarah High School here in uh, Southern California. He had nine tackles, including one tackle for loss. Uh, He had his first interception uh, in the upset win over Utah. It's usually like, you know, the bigger games like that, the matchups, that's where the players come from. And then uh, for special teams, you might have seen them, Dave. Uh, Ugo Several Am- UCLA players? No, it was Ugo Amadi. Um, so he's like stud safety member. I think it was against Cal. He had like two picks. I don't, I don't think, we'll talk about this. I don't think, or <laughs> I don't think he should get any credit for that punt return <laughs> for a touchdown. It well, was, it was like full parting of the Red Sea, but you know what? It's great. 
<laughs> go Oregon. Yeah, he got uh, he got Oregon off to a seven zero lead. But you remember he had a huge. I think he was Pac twelve Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, like when they played Cal. When was that? That was. Uh, well, anyway, they. I think he had like two picks, and he had a pick six in that game. So uh, his stud safety is a senior for Oregon Ugo Amadi. Um, so yeah, that's our Pac twelve players of the week. And I guess now, Dave, I think we have to do our Pac twelve roundup. Are you ready? Oh yeah. Let's do this. Are you ready for this? I don't know if I'm ready for this. Okay. Um, all right. We're starting at the bottom. And uh, now we had a tie last week, but uh, they're now pulled away as the number 12 team by themselves. Oregon State Beavers. And uh, you might not agree with that one, though, Dave. But, uh, I don't agree with that in the <laughs> slightest, but okay. Um, and, you know, before we say this, I just want to full disclosure, I did not for the first time vote in the 24 seven sports power rank. I, I didn't even know what to do, but I was, like I said, I was golfing most of the time. So I didn't, I totally forgot. And I was, I was gone most of the day. I had to work a bunch after I golfed. So I didn't get a chance to vote. So my apologies uh, to everybody. I did not vote in this poll. So uh, election day coming up tomorrow. If you don't vote, you're not supposed to like complain. I can't complain about these rankings because I didn't vote Dave, but they, they were hosting now number seven USC Trojans. Okay, so, um, yeah, I don't really – I wouldn't put Oregon State that low. Um, they were actually pretty competitive in this game. They did their customary thing at the beginning, which is spot the other team 14 points, which they did to USC. Um, and that put them in a hole, but then the offense came alive as it kind of does, and Jake Luton started to make some throws. Um, USC just kind of they're, – they're just a, you know, a more talented team than um, – whoever it was, Oregon State beat Colorado. Was it Colorado, Colorado last week? Yeah, They're just a more talented team, so they were able to knuckle down, um, especially defensively, and just kind of turn off the the faucet a little bit on Oregon State in the second half of this game um, and allowed USC to pull ahead, um, eventually winning 38-21, which I think is what the final spread ended up being, actually. Um, I think we had this as, what, 14 and a half? I think we had a 14, yeah. So we didn't get this one right. Um yeah, we didn't. Our picks were not very good. I was three and three. Uh, Dave was two and four. I've been five hundred for the last month. Like literally every week is like two and two, three and three, three. You know, whatever. It's terrible. Yeah, and I've made up like a game in that time. Um, we're we're bad at what we do. Um, USC was able to run the ball really, really effectively. Um, JT Daniels looked okay, and not great by any stretch of the imagination. I would have loved to have seen a, a stronger competition between him and Jack Sears this week, but. Um, fine. Uh, did you see any noticeable differences with Clay Helton calling plays and running the offense? It's hard to say because when you can run the ball that well, I mean, they ran for 322 yards. They had Ocacentric Ware go over 200. That's the first time. Val- uh, Vavai Malapai went over 100 for the first time. I mean, they were just gashing the Oregon State Beaver defense to a point where it would be stupid to throw the ball again. It was just one of those things like, don't throw the ball. Just, just run the ball. It's not – I mean, you can – you could miss two blocks and still have huge runs. Like it was really um, just, they were just kind of crushed. It was a 509 yard, you know, advantage to 322 and, and Oregon state had like minus nine rushing yards at half. And then, you know, they, they got it 31 by the end of the game, but it was, I don't think there was a huge difference, uh, but it's just so hard because 
things got so much easier when you run the ball. And Clay Hilton said this on his conference call when I was listening to last night. It's a lot easier to call plays when you can run the football. So if you just hand the ball off, it was third and 16. They handed the ball off and got 15 yards. So they go, oh, we'll go for it on fourth and one. Um, so yeah, I think that made things a lot easier. We'll, we'll know a lot more, uh, and they're, you know, we don't want to spoil anything, but they have a game coming up against a good defense. So we'll see if that makes an impact. Yeah. And, um, just a couple of shout outs on the Oregon state side. Um, Isaiah Hodgins again was a complete stud. Um, he could play for anybody in the league and probably be a good, at worst, probably number two for a lot of teams in the league and probably number one for I can I can speak for one team I know of that he could be the one number one for, um, but I, I I thought you know again Oregon State's offense I think there's a lot of stuff to like there um, you know I think that that attack just the whole scheme they're getting guys open um, so I think if you're an Oregon State fan even with I mean this is obviously not going to be a banner year from a record perspective even with all that there's there's definitely stuff that they're building offensively they just need to. I mean, I think they just need players defensively. It's just not, you know, they're they're just getting gashed in ways that just look like they don't have the bodies up front. Yeah, I mean, they spotted USC a 21-point lead. Uh, they scored 21 in a row to cut it to 7, 28 to 7. But there were some some pretty bad drives. Like on the, you know, the first drive, they were moving the ball. It's second one, which is like the best down in football. They try to run it twice and just get stuffed and they have to punt. And then, uh, you know, they had a fake, they tried a fake field goal, which was really weird. It was, it just didn't look good at all. The guy, the kicker. That was a momentum shifter too. Oh, so bad. It was like a kicker that looked like, I mean, he wasn't like Jake Browning bad, but he was bad. Like he could not throw. I'm just kidding. No, he was, that was like one of the worst <laughs> passes you're ever going to see. And uh, it was really easy for USC to diagnose and just like back into a defense. It was just weird. It, it didn't make any sense. Like if you want to go for it, just go for it. Um, and the third down play was weird too. There were some stuff where, you know, Oregon state got a little Oregon. I tweeted this, like they were a little Oregon statey and they just did things that were kind of dumb, but then they had, you know, that three drives in a row where they scored touchdowns. They looked really good. Um, and the, the problem was you had the, you know, the, the conference leading rusher and Jamar Jefferson, and he couldn't do anything. And so USC basically just took him away. And uh, yeah, it was, it was tough, but they, they, you know, they stayed on the field a lot. They converted third downs, but um it was hard. It's just a team that's not as talented. So I think when you ask them to go on long drives and get a whole bunch of plays in a row where you do something good, like they did it for a few drives, but they just couldn't continue to do that. And, you know, having no run game, I think really hurt Oregon state. Uh, and then, I mean, defensively, it was just one of the worst defensive performances I've seen as far as like stopping the run. They just couldn't, they, they couldn't do anything. So it, it was a, it was one team was a lot more talented than the other. And that's kind of what happened. Uh, all right, so next we have, now this wouldn't be David's uh, number 11 team. UCLA Bruins. And uh, they uh, had to go on the road, uh, taking on now, this is crazy that this team we have up at number four. Oregon Ducks. Okay, so this game was 42-21 uh, uh, Oregon. They won the game. Looking at that, you'd think, oh, wow, UCLA must have, you know, just done what they do all year, kind of has scuffle on offense, uh, you know, breakdown on defense. And yes, listener, to an extent that is true. But I want to read off to you what happened on special teams in this game for the Bruins. <laughs> yes, uh, listener. Here's the list. Here's the list in 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 order. Uh, punt return for a touchdown on a fake punt for Oregon. They missed the tackle 
that they would have stopped it on downs. Then they muffed a punt that set Oregon up for another touchdown. Then they had a false start on a 51-yard field goal attempt before the half that they then had to kick from 56 that ended up about five yards short. Uh-huh. Then they had then they called a timeout on an Oregon punt in the second half because there were too many men on the field. And then the final, the capper, on a field goal attempt late in the game, they didn't run the kicker out until there were six seconds left on the clock. <laughs> And then they high snapped it and they were not able to convert the first down. That was special teams by any reasonable calculation. They gave up at least 14 points on special teams. And you can make a very, very real assessment that they gave up 27. Wow. It was insane. Insane. So it was a winnable Um, winnable game outside of special teams. Yeah. I mean, the yardage totals were about even, um, I don't think UCLA would have won even with special teams being, um, good because there were some breakdowns defensive or even if uh, special teams have been good because there were some breakdowns defensively. Um, Justin Herbert was back on after being kind of off. He started off the game a little bit off, not making the throws as accurately as he usually does. But the second half, he was pretty lethal. Um, And UCLA's offense, they had a couple of turnovers of their own. One, a crippling red zone interception by Dorian Thompson Robinson. The other, a fumble that set up Oregon on a short drive for a touchdown. Um, so those mistakes probably happen anyway, and UCLA loses like a one-score game. But this was not, should not have been a 42-21 blowout. UCLA just shot itself in the foot. And in kind of inexplicable, uh, these are these are organizational communication issues more than just players failing to execute. Like, look, if you miss a tackle, yeah, I'll buy that that's the player. If you drop a ball, I'll buy that that's the player. If you don't run a kicker out there until there are seven seconds left on the clock, yeah, that's an organizational issue. That's uh, it's funny. So we, when we do like our live show and stuff, and we have uh, Shotgun Spratling, he he watches all of the games and he always counts the players. And about four or five times a year, USC runs out, um, you know, ten guys or maybe sometimes nine guys on uh, on spe- you know like on a kick a PAT or whatever. And it usually doesn't make make a difference, but it's just kind of concerning that that happens. But I brought it up to him. He's like, well, they've never at least not thrown the kicker out there. Like, that's that's a crazy one. It's It, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was beautiful to watch. I enjoyed it. Um, and to Oregon's credit, you know, they took advantage. They were plenty good enough to take advantage of all of that. Um, they relied on explosive plays in this game much more so than they've done um, in previous games. I thought UCLA actually did a pretty nice job, especially early against the run. They were stuffing them at a pretty good rate up front. Um, just couldn't do it consistently, but you know, they hit, um, long touchdown run, Tony Brooks, James, uh, long touchdown catch Dylan Mitchell, um, both plays just huge explosive, you know, 50 plus yarders. Um, and that's not been Oregon's MO this year. They've been much more, you know, death by a thousand cuts in the running game, especially. Um, so that was interesting to see. And, uh, for UCLA, Dorian Thompson Robinson, once again, got hurt, uh, looked like the same shoulder he injured, um, couple weeks ago and Wilton Spate came in probably played a little bit better than Thompson Robinson but they were both you know neither was was winning this game on their own and Josh Kelly for UCLA was once again uh you know he's looking looking very much like a top third in the league running back I'm curious to see what Oregon looks like going forward because they got a bunch of Pac-12 South games coming up um like you said without the special teams effect here and being at home I don't know I mean I'm still not uh, Justin Herbert still doesn't look quite right to me. 
Uh, something seems a little bit off, but he just, it's like Dylan Mitchell and that's it. Like that's, it seems like that's where they go. He's got, and I think some of it is him locking on too. I don't think it's just that these guys are bad. He just looks like he's always looking for Mitchell basically no matter what. And it's a, you know, chicken egg thing, but he's got to start trusting other guys and just throw him the ball and see what happens. It's like he's got 56 catches and like the next closest guy is 23 Jalen red, you know? Um, and you know, more than 500 yards more than the ne- the second leading receiver, uh, Jacob Breland. So it's, it's like all Dylan Mitchell and, you know, you see this team that you would have seen him spread the ball out more and, and have, uh, you know, have him be able to survey the field and find different guys, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to be happening right now. So I don't know, this, this might be one of those things where Oregon look good. Hey, are they back? Are they back? Are they back? And then, uh, you know, we, we weren't going to talk about the next couple of games, but they got some, you know, some tough contests coming up. It's one of those things where like, you could see them winning all three and going nine and three or losing all three and ending six and six. It's like, that's, that's kind of the PAC 12 in a nutshell right now. Yeah. And I, and I, I would add one thing and I, I kind of said it last week, but I'll say it again. Jim Levitt, this defense, not good. It's just not good at all. And I, I, you know, UCLA was not on fire offensively and they still put up almost 500 yards. They've, they've got to figure some things out because that defense I would say it's taken a very small step back from last year, and that's not good in year two under Levitt. No. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's move on to our next game. So this one, uh, this was the uh, Friday game. We have our number uh, 10 team. Colorado Buffaloes. And they were on the road against our now number eight team. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. So this was probably the most fun game of the Pac-12 weekend. It was really, good. really back and forth. Um, Arizona pulled out the win, 42-34. Uh, but this was this was back and forth the whole way. It wasn't like Colorado had to mount a stirring comeback. In fact, they were ahead in the second half. Um, and then Arizona State would pull Arizona would pull ahead, and then Colorado would come back in. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Colorado was once again without uh, without uh, Lavisca Chenault, and um, I, I you know I think that probably. Uh, that could have been decisive. You know, they spread the ball around more and they've been doing that the last few weeks. And it's, you know, I think these receivers are stepping up for them. Juwan Winfrey looked good in this one. Um, Katie Nixon did not have a big day. I think he might've gotten dinged up. He did. They actually uh, were out. The The top three receivers were all out by the end. Um, Cause yeah. uh, McIntyre got hurt and uh, Dixon was really, he seemed like kind of banged up from the beginning, I believe. And then, uh, yeah, he didn't look sharp from the very beginning. Um, and Trayvon McMillan really wasn't, able to do a whole lot um 11 carries for 59 yards i don't know if that was by design looking at that arizona defense they've been a little bit better against the run the last few weeks um but nonetheless um i think arizona is just playing a lot better right now uh khalil tate this was the first game where i was like okay khalil tate looks really good um and he wasn't running the ball it was all just throwing the ball finding receivers open downfield um seems to be playing within the offense a little bit better than he was at the beginning of the year um, and it helps to have JJ Taylor carrying the ball <clears throat> 40 times, <laughs> 40 carries. That's some Devonte Booker stuff right there. And JJ Taylor is not Devonte Booker from a size perspective. So that's a big workload for a, 
for a little guy. So um, huge for him. Uh, big game, 40 carries, 192 yards. When they can run the ball effectively, I think it just changes the offense. That's the MO on Noel Mazzoni um, going back years and years and years. He gets reps for you know being kind of the quarterback swing pass, that whole thing. But when his offenses have been best, it's when they can run the ball. And they've found a running game the last few weeks. Um, behind J.J. Taylor, and uh, they're riding it. So um, this Arizona team is very much alive. Um, there's, And this is you know, starting to coalesce a little bit more into what we were expecting Arizona to look like. Obviously not the Tate runs as much, but he did have one in this one for uh, 25 yards. Um, but it's still it's, it's looking a little bit more like, I think, what we were expecting, especially from the Arizona offense. Yeah, Arizona's alive in the Pac-12 South race, um, so they'd have to win on the road at Washington State. We're, we're, we're sorry about the spoiler alert, um, but if they can do that, they would just have to beat Arizona State at home, and then need USC and Utah to each lose a game, and that's certainly, um, you know, reasonable. I end up watching this one uh, in a bar with my wife because we uh, power went out on our street. Uh, it was like plan thing or whatever, but so we were just watching it at this bar and. There's a couple of Arizona fans actually kind of cheering, but early on it was it was not pretty. Uh, it was I think it was ten nothing um, for for Colorado, and they, they you know like they had a turnover inside their own ten. Arizona did. Uh, they had a nice drive, but then they had a touchdown that was called back by a penalty, and there was a lot of penalties in this game. Arizona ended up twelve for 129 yards. Colorado just had five of 52. So I think Arizona seemed like the better team, but they were also making like bigger mistakes. I think every drive in the second half, the Arizona defense had at least one penalty. Like I, I'd have to go back and look at it, um, but they would get a sack and then they get called illegal hands to the face somewhere else and negate it. Um, it was just unreal. And the timing of the penalties, it was just, it was just bad. Um, but it just seemed like every, every defensive you know stand they tried to make uh, and then Steven Montez gets banged up, but the, the penalties I think were really hurting this Arizona defense, but I thought they were playing well once they got out, you know, they got out of that initial hole. We've seen teams do this in the PAC 12 all year, get down early. And then they kind of come back, um, and, you know, and make some big plays, but I wouldn't say there was a lot of great defensive plays in this one. Mostly they were bigger plays, uh, on offense. They would have like one every once in a while, like a, a tackle for loss or, or something, you know, but then, but the, the big ones were like, you know, hey, Colorado converted a third and 15. Then they did like a third and 22, um, thanks to a to another Arizona penalty. So it just seemed like there was some more big play offense that was, was kind of fun to watch. And, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it was, it was, to me, it was entertaining. Uh, I, I thought Arizona outplayed Colorado, but there was a lot of stuff that was happening. Like they, I think they overturned a fumble that was questionable that went Colorado's way. It seemed like Colorado got a bunch of breaks. Um, yeah. But it's still Arizona end up coming out. And maybe I was just looking at it from that perspective because we picked Arizona minus four. And I was like, what are they doing? Why are they getting all these penalties? Why is everything? But uh, it did seem like that, that like Colorado was getting some breaks, but Arizona still persevered and was able to, to win. Yeah, I would say um, Arizona dominated the game for the most part if you look at it from a stats perspective. And honestly, the, the defense performance, I think, is like, it's interesting because it's, you know, they weren't like completely shutting out Colorado, but they were disruptive as hell. Yeah. And by the end of the game, Steven Montez wanted mm, not much more <laughs> of that defense. I mean, he was getting hit so hard on every single play. Um, they had, I mean, they had five sacks, 10 tackles for loss, seven passes defended. Wow. And they only ended up with one pick. When you get your hand on that many balls, your odds are you're probably going to get picks at a higher rate than that. Yeah. 
um, they were disruptive. And, you know, I kind of poo-pooed people who were talking about, oh, the Arizona defense is showing signs. It was about three or four weeks ago, I think just before the UCLA game. But they are showing signs now. Um, And we talked about it last year even that we were like, hey, you know, there's moments where this defense looks like it could be one of those disruptive energetic defenses not perfectly gap sound not like one of those crazy washington or cal defenses where they virtually never get into the backfield but they always tackle you for two yards um i don't think arizona is going to ever have the talent for that but they can be disruptive and they can be fun as hell and force a bunch of turnovers that's gonna be great no I, i think uh there's there's stuff to like i think on defense now for arizona and uh they definitely Definitely had this game much more than the stats would indicate. Um, they probably should have won this by considerably more than eight. Yeah, you got. I mean, you got to shore up those penalties. We've seen. I mean, especially in this conference, if it's a a, a high penalty type of game, and this one was, um, man, they were just calling everything. And uh, but they they were they didn't call a lot of holding that you would see like that kind of happening. But anything in the secondary, they were calling that a lot. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, both teams passed for about 350 yards. It was 350 to 343. It was pretty close. But Arizona outrushed Colorado 216 to 40. So that's really a huge difference in this game. But um, a lot of those penalties just kept these uh, drives alive for Arizona. I mean, uh, for Colorado and just kind of kept them in this one. So something certainly you got to try to uh, shore up a little bit. All right. Absolutely. So so this is now uh, we'll move on. Our number... uh, Let's see our number nine team, California Golden Bears. They were on the road taking on, and still number one, Washington State Cougars. So one thing, you know those moments when you're like, I I analyze this stuff for a living, and you know this is part of what I do professionally, and then you're like watching a game and you're like, oh, I completely forgot Justin Wilcox coached at Boise State where they were, you know historically Chris Peterson's been able to handle this uh, Washington state offense with his defense and uh, you know, Wilcox is from that same tree. So, and and that only occurred to me when, yeah, Washington state ended up with 19 points. Um, (laughs) And like, why doesn't that occur to me beforehand when I'm picking these games like a dumbass? Uh, Anyway, uh, Washington state won 19 to 13, big credit to Gardner Minshew at the end of this game for, um, you know, shaking off what was probably his worst performance of the year, uh, just in terms of not hitting receivers, just not looking super sharp, uh, shaking it off for a great final drive um, to put Washington State firmly ahead at the very end. Uh, Cal uglied up this game really, really well. Um, just defensively, they weren't given anything really easy to Washington State. Those, you know, Washington, that air raid has a tendency to throw passes that, travel a long way from arm to receiver, but actually don't get a lot of yards. And then the receivers counted on to make yards after they catch. And Cal was really not allowing a whole lot of that. There were not many big breakdowns in the tackling um, from Cal. And that made it just so that it was kind of an ugly game. Um, Wasn't a whole lot open downfield and there wasn't a whole lot um, to gain um, after the catch. And, uh, you know, I thought Cameron Bynum for, for Cal had actually a really, really good game. Um, but uh, ultimately, Washington State was able to do it. Gardner Minshew was able to complete a couple of passes. Um, Aesop Winston had an incredible catch down the sideline. Uh, Minshew put it right in his hands, um, and he came down with it. Jameer Calvin had a great catch down the stretch. Um, you know, when you're facing a good offense like that, they're going to eventually make plays. And Cal needs to uh, they need to make a decision offensively. 
because Brandon McElwain came into this game through a pick, a bad pick, and I don't think you can keep running him out there, especially when Chase Garbers is playing fine. Like, he's not great. Um, he's probably not a whole lot better than Ross Bowers was last year, but he's at least not making crippling error after crippling error. You could make a real claim that Brandon McElwain was the reason they ultimately lost this game. Um, yes, this is the worst. I cannot, I, I cannot sell this short. I mean, this is this. Oh, here. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. What are you doing? You start the season cat. Like I've given Justin Wilcox a lot of credit. I love the, the hire of Bo Baldwin. I don't know where this is coming from. Is it a Bo Baldwin thing? Is it a Justin Wilcox thing? Are they being really stubborn about, we want to really have an athletic quarterback available and, but it is so clear. Like you could not know anything about college football and just realize like, oh, Cal's moving the ball. They're doing okay. Well, put the other guy in. And then it's like you screwed up. It's like you put in, you have a, if, if you're a great, you know, pinch hitter and then they put you in and it's an O2 count or something, you're like, what you're expected to go out and do something like they would, they would take him out and McElwain would like throw a near pick and then like lose a yard and a run. It's third and 11. And they, they put Garbers back out there. Like, okay, go pick up the first down. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're just crushing this, this poor kid's confidence. And you're it's insane. It's, I can't believe what they're doing. And well, I and, and, can I give you the rushing stats for the game. Okay. Chase Garbers, 11 carry 67 yards, 6.1 yards per carry. Brandon <laughs> McElwain, six carries for negative two yards. <laughs> On the year, Brandon McElwain, 80 carries for 402 yards, 5.0 average. That's pretty good. Brandon, uh, Chase Garbers, 60 attempts for 273 yards, 4.6 average. There's functionally no difference. I know Brandon McElwain's a little bit faster, like his straight-ahead speed is better. But Garbers is a more heady player. He's making better plays, and he's not that big of a drop-off in the run game. I do not understand this anymore. I don't get it. I'm going to give you three numbers, okay? One, five, and eight. Those are going to be three, one of three categories. Passing touchdowns for Brandon McElwain, interceptions <laughs> for Brandon McElwain, and fumbles for Brandon McElwain. Which number do you think corresponds with each category? All right, so inter- uh, interceptions is obviously the eight. Yes. Fumbles is the five. Yes. And passing and touchdowns, touchdowns is, is the one. one. That's that's the guy you keep putting in there. Like, what are you doing, Cal? I can't believe this. They, it's unbelievable. And I tweeted. I think uh, Michael Lev. I was <laughs> tweeting about this. Michael Lev tweets like, "Why are they doing this?" And I responded to him in his tweet saying, "It's almost like Cal wants to turn the ball over more." And then within a minute or two, he throws the interception into the end zone when Cal is driving in the fourth quarter. When it's 13 to 13, Cal's at the 20 to take the lead and they put in McElwain and he throws a pick in the end zone and he threw the other pick earlier where it should have been a pick six. And then it was like the most Keystone cop thing ever where, you know, I I think it was, yeah, I think it was, was it, was it, uh, was it him or was it Garbers? Maybe Garbers threw the pick. I don't know. Whatever. That was a crazy play too. I guess I got off topic of the uh, McElwain Garbers thing. Well, here, here's the thing. Here, okay. Here's here's the main thing, the main takeaway from Cal's season so far. They probably end up with a bull. I think so. They'll probably end up six and six. Um, lose two of the next three to USC, Stanford, and Colorado. Maybe they even win two of three. Maybe they end up seven and five. Uh, they have an 
easy, easy argument to make that they should be uh, seven and two right now with win on the road at Arizona and a win on the road at Washington State if they just stuck with one quarterback. Yeah. And and as long as that quarterback's name is not Brandon McElroy. Yeah, it could have been Garbers or Bowers, right? Garbers would have beaten Arizona <laughs> at Arizona, and Garbers would have beaten Washington State if they just stuck with him. And honestly, the UCLA 37-7 loss, that was a really deceptive loss because Brandon McElwain was a human turnover machine in that game. <laughs> um, so I, I don't – like their Cal's defense is good enough that they could be legitimately 7-2 and two right now. Yeah. And the reason they aren't is because of mistakes and weird evaluations on the offensive end at quarterback. Yeah, crazy. And then also the it was the Garbers pick. So what they did was – Cal put McElwain in the game and then put Garbers back in on third down. He's pressed, throws what you know should have been a pick six, and then Garbers goes and makes the crazy tackle and fo- forces the fumble. The ball goes out of the back of the end zone, which is like the worst call, you know, the worst rule in sports. Then it's a touchback to Cal. So basically, Garbers threw a pick six and they get first and ten at the twenty. So it was. That was, but that was after they put McElwain in for two downs, and he had like third and long. He pressed a little bit and threw that pick six. Incredible! Uh, it was insane. And then this is for Washington State. This was a game you obviously could have easily lost. Um, but when you're a good elite team, you're going to have some mucky games. This oh yeah, was, this was the mucky game, and they end up winning the game. I think Cal certainly helped a lot. But for but they won it. It wasn't like Cal threw a pick six for Washington right. State to win it. They had a drive to win it, and I think that matters. Um, Washington State went out and won the game and did it on their offense, on the strength of their team, Gardner Minshew. This is a gut check game after a couple of big time, high emotional weeks. You're going to have a letdown spot. Late night game at home, that happens. And to still come out with a win over a team that is surging in a lot of ways, like Cal is looking a whole lot better than they looked three weeks yeah. ago. Uh, that's a big win. I, I I wouldn't take anything away from the win from Washington State. You're never going to play 100% every single game. And they won with their, what, 75% game? Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if that. And it's funny. You look at this Cal defense and legit, they give up 19 points to Washington State, you know, on the road. Uh, Gardner Minshew, you know, one of the best quarterbacks we've seen. Uh, they gave up 10 to Washington the week before. Uh, they uh, only give up seven at Oregon State, but, you know, it's Oregon State. But then the week before that, they give up 37 to UCLA. You mentioned all the turnovers. They give up 24 to Arizona, and they give up 42 to Oregon, um, which is kind of crazy, but they they seem to shore things up a little bit. Uh, but they got to score some points. Do you The last offensive, t- like, last touchdown scored by an offensive player uh, was week eight against Oregon State because they had the pick six against Washington. That was their only touchdown. And in this one, it was Malik McMorris, you know, big number 99. <laughs> he catches a touchdown uh, in this one. So that was the only touchdown scored um, for for uh, for Cal. So it's kind of crazy. Wild. I mean, I don't know. It's nuts. But, yeah, I, I know we didn't talk much about Washington State because of the – Cal just did some really, really dumb things in these games. It was, like, infuriating me. I'm like, what are you doing? This is insane. Um, but – Whatever. We'll see if they're able to uh, shore things up after that. Okay. So they were, so Cal was our number what? Uh, eight team. Uh, no, our number nine team. Uh, number eight was Arizona. We talked about them. Uh, number seven was USC. We talked about them. 
And uh, number six, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they were hosting uh, our now number, uh, looks like number four team. Utah right. Utes. Yeah, we See, have, I, I'm sorry. We I, had Oregon number. I said four for Oregon. Oregon's number three and uh, Utah's number four. Sorry about that. No one's a bigger Utah honk on this podcast than me. Certainly not Ryan, who picked them to win the South. Um, but I don't think you can have them number four anymore with the injury to Tyler. Huntley. No, like that's if it's the a power rank. It's a power ranking like they're not going to be that powerful without Tyler Huntley. No, they're they're middle. I would say uh, flip the rankings, maybe make Arizona State four and Utah six. But everyone's so but anyway, bad, it's just hard to <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so this game was, um, I, I think a lot is going to be made of the Tyler Huntley injury. And obviously that probably made this one more of a laugher than it was in the fourth quarter, especially in the second half, just generally. Um, this was going to be a war regardless. Uh, Utah didn't, they, they didn't have their A game for sure. It was not, they were not playing at that dominant level that they played at um, previous weeks. And Arizona State is playing at that level. Um, this was such a great offensive day for ASU. Um, they had over 530 yards of offense and really balanced. Um, you know, I, I we, we said it earlier, uh, picked Nikhil Harry for the Pac-12 Player of the Week. But I guessed Dino Benjamin because they were both studs in this game. And that was evident from the very beginning. Um, so even with you know Huntley going down, that probably removed the chance of Utah winning. But I think they might have lost this one even if he didn't go down. Yeah. Arizona State is playing at a high level. I think it was a little bit of a lull for Utah from an energy perspective. You know, they just had they had USC at home on that night game, big emotional spot. Then they had to go on the road on six days rest to take on UCLA, and they beat the hell out of them. But after doing that two weeks in a row, um, again, we just talked about Washington State. You're going to have lulls of energy. And then on top of that, you have your quarterback go down. Yeah, I mean, this is going to happen in the league. But Arizona State's really surging. They are in control of their own destiny. Um, so if they win out, they they win the Fact 12 South. I think you can say that about like nine different teams right now, which is weird because there's only six teams in the Fact 12 South. But um, ASU <laughs> does control its own destiny. Um, and... Uh, there's a lot to like about this offense when it can do this against a defense this good. Yeah. Uh, I think the other aspect, too, if you early on, this was one of those things where ASU just came out and they threw the first couple of punches. And we've seen teams bounce back going down 14 nothing or 10 nothing or things like that. And Utah just seemed like they weren't going to bounce back. Uh, they were, I think it was the opening drive. Um, targeting set uh set Arizona State up at like for a first and goal and Utah ended up being down like three safeties in this game so they got the early touchdown um it, and then this is the weird play I think once you saw this play you didn't need to watch the rest of the game you knew how this one was going to go and this is very Pac-12 this happens all the time so like I said the targeting call happens it was kind of questionable or whatever and then ASU gets set up and uh they score early so you're like well uh you know Sun Devils are rolling so Tyler Hartley comes back, uh, avoids pressure. So they're they're driving. He avoids pressure. It was a, a play-action pass. Get the, Still get some pressure on him. Gets away from it. And he heaves this, like, Hail Mary-looking pass up towards the goal line. It hit his receiver, a, like, diving receiver in the chest. <laughs> 
bounced up into the air, and I think it was a sorry Crosswell uh, was a defender right into his hands. He hasn't had an interception. All he had his hands on other balls. Couldn't pick anything else. This was going to be a Utah touchdown. Bounced, <laughs> and it became like ASU's ball at midfield. It was this crazy fourteen, and, and Arizona State scored a touchdown. You know, to their credit on offense, um, it was just one of those things where that just happens in this league. It just seems like there's like a scale and someone has like just momentum just piled on your side to start. And no matter how good you were playing, you're Utah, you're just playing lights out football. Everyone's like, you're playing better than Washington state. Yeah. You had the two early losses, but people were saying, Utah, you're, you're better, the best team in the conference. And it didn't matter. Like the, the scale was, was, uh, you know, leaning against them. It, it was, it was on the other side. And that play alone to me just saw that. Um, it was like, yeah, this is not going to be good. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you thought about that one, but that was crazy. A crazy oh, turnaround was, early. I mean, the, the the bounces are always nuts. And that one, like they, it was a goal line interception and he returned it to like the 50. Yeah. It was nuts. Um, yeah. I mean, and this was when, when Huntley game di- went down, just to be completely fair, uh, it was uh, 21-20 or yeah, I think it was 21-20 ASU or it was. 21-17 ASU, and then they drove for the field goal on that drive to make it 21-20. So it was back and forth to that point, um, and then ASU basically just pitched a shutout from there on out. Um, you know, they're, they're playing a backup quarterback for Utah, and he was, you know, just he's, he's not there yet. Uh, maybe he will be at some point, but he wasn't there yet. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, probably Utah throwing the ball a little bit too much early. Um, if I had to say one thing that was sort of against what they've been doing of late, um, you know, I think they probably could have stuck to the run even more in the first half. Um, that was maybe one note because that's been the strength of their turnaround over the last, whatever, five games, four games, uh, has just been that rushing attack. And I thought they were just trying a little bit too much deep and they got burned on that crosswell throw, but, um, they've been at their best when they're picking their spots to throw it. And I thought they got a little bit out over their skis in the past game. Um, you know, Huntley did end up throwing two picks in this one before he got, he, before he got hurt. Um, so I, I would have opted a little bit more for the run. Maybe it, obviously there's probably something seeing they were seeing in the matchup with ASU's front, but, um, regardless, uh, Zach Moss in any kind of competitive game needs more than 18 carries. Yeah. Um, and he was really effective, actually. 18 carries for 128 yards, uh, seven yards per carry. Uh, you really want to give him the ball at least 25 times a game. And it, it seemed like, I think you're right. I think they were pressing to throw the ball. And they kept getting drops. There was, I mean, that big one in the end zone. But there were some other drops, too. But I thought they bounced back all right. They scored 17 straight, like, <laughs> before the half. But then they gave they gave up, like, a less than a minute uh, drive for Arizona State. Uh, Utah could have had a turnover, but they dropped the interception. Um, and so Arizona State had taken the lead where it's like, that was a very not like, that's not like a play or a series that a Kyle Whittingham team gives up. So there was some just stuff that wasn't really, uh, in Utah's DNA that was happening. It's just those little things. And then, you know, like you said, it was tight. Utah certainly wasn't playing as well as Arizona State was, but that was going to, that, that injury seemed to just put it over the edge. So, um, it's, uh, I mean, you know, they, they struggled early on offense. Uh, Utah did earlier in the season. I think they've kind of found found their way, play action passes, whatever they were doing with Tyler Huntley, you know, having him run. I thought he did, you know, he was doing a really good job. So it's unfortunate that we're not going to see this Utah team with the full offense because I just don't think they're going to be anywhere near 
uh, the same. And, you know, they had a chance. They they could control that. They had control their own destiny. If they won out, they would have represented the Pac-12 South. Now they're going to need some help. And uh, without their starting quarterback, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough. But ASU does have to play three conference games still. And Utah only has two because they got BYU. But um, it's it's uh, without Huntley, I just don't see it happening. Strong argument that ASU has the uh, best running back and best um, wide receiver in the league. Very right? strong. Very, sure. very strong argument. And, um, you know, I want to I want to, again, shout out Herm, because every time I've heard this dude talk this entire year, it's interesting. It's pretty incisive. And he's very, very note perfect. Um, he led off his postgame uh, interview actually immediately after the game by saying he hopes Tyler Huntley's OK. Like, that's just. Oh yeah, you know it, it's it's small stuff like that, but that's really good. Kind of if you're presenting yourself as kind of the grown up, and especially when you go into rooms and talk to families, it's just being that perfect, like note perfect, you know, caring coach figure. Um, you know, I was super skeptical about Herm. I'm still not like completely like ASU is going to dominate the South for years to come, but uh, he's impressed me this year, not just from a coaching perspective, but all the other stuff too. I think. Um, I buy him much more as a recruiter than I would have um, uh, when he was hired. Yeah, um, I think I think it makes sense. Like it all fits now for me. I agree. I mean, it's uh, you know we we were, we were not very uh, positive towards Herm Edwards hire and everything, and I'm not saying it's going to turn out great, but he's done a lot of things that he could have screwed up. He's done a lot of things well, and you know you mentioned that. I mean, I was in you know two weeks ago in the Coliseum. I'm doing interviews in the in the tunnel and, you know, the players have to walk by and Jack Sears is doing an interview as a scrum of people all around him. Herm's just walking by. I'm like grabbing a picture of him on my phone as he's walking out and he just sees, you know, Jack Sears who had to start because of the two injuries to the other two quarterbacks and just kind of goes through the scrum and just, you know, congratulates him, you know, say, hey, you did a nice job and stuff. Something he didn't have to do. And uh, he, he's doing a lot of the right things. And, and you know, Chris Cartman talked about it in our preview show that this team was set up to do pretty well this year, no matter who the coach was, because of, you know, what Todd Graham had set up last year. They finished second in the South. So um, they're, they're, they've been pretty impressive, and they're the only team in the South that controls its own destiny. But it's not going to be an easy road, but certainly uh, they have a shot here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, number five, we have Stanford Cardinal. And they were also on the road taking on our number two team, Washington Huskies. This was a really, really weird game and like very dull for the first half and then like really exciting for the second half. It was just very odd to watch. Um, so Washington ended up winning 27 to 23. And if you just watched the first half, you'd be like, oh, wow, Stanford made a comeback. Stanford not only made a comeback, they probably should have won the game. Um, they were driving at will in the second half. Um, and it was only some inexplicable clock stuff on the final drive that I thought really even kept them from scoring again at Ooh. the end. Um, and so watching it, the announcers kept talking about how Stanford wasn't subbing. And yet the refs were sitting over the ball. But I, I, I tried to watch it again and I saw them sub at least once. Um, so I'm going to pin most of that on David Shaw um, and whoever the <laughs> offensive staff is. I don't know why they were subbing. They had no timeouts on the final drive of this game. Um, they had about a minute to go, whatever. I you know they had two minutes. They had two full minutes, I think, to start the drive. And then they wasted a whole bunch of it um, 
in between. Let me see if I can get the right downs here. When they were at the Stanford 30, um, they wasted about 30 seconds um, just getting set up, getting everybody in. And then they wasted another, like, I want to say 30 immediately after that on the next play. And the thing was, they were just, they were completing, you know, chunk plays, you know, 13 yards here, 15 yards there. They could have done this if they'd been a little bit better about managing the clock, a little bit better about keeping the same personnel in on every single play. Um, but this entire second half, that was the story. I mean, again, when Stanford is down, it's like they figure out who they are offensively. They stop trying to run the ball so much. They start just throwing the ball, and w- wouldn't you know it, they start completing passes and making things happen. Um, Washington's offense just looked like it kind of went in the tank when they were up 21 nothing, and they are just like, okay, we're good. We don't need more points than that. And then it was just, um, okay, we're going to we're gonna have a punt fest in the second half and maybe kick a couple of field goals. Um, Stanford, uh, I was expecting David Shaw to figure this out at this point. Um, the fact that it's still taking into the second half of games before they are like, oh, yeah, right. We've got a bunch of dudes who are like 6'9". Let's throw them the ball. Um, I don't know. I think they need to figure that out earlier in games. Um, you know, Costello finished with 43 attempts, so that's something. Um, but, you know, I, I, just just go full, like, pseudo-pro-style air raid for this entire year. Throw the ball 50 times a game and just make this stuff happen. You know, Costello made some mistakes. He had three interceptions, but even still, um, just not an effective offensive first half. And then... Uh, probably actually should have won the game late. If you have like two brothers that are like rivals, the sibling rivalry, and one's like a little heavy set or something, and he just sits on the other one for a while, who's a little faster, but you just didn't let him run anywhere. He just like Washington just sat on Stanford for a while and then decided, ah, they're probably tired, so I'll let them get up. And then they weren't that tired. <laughs> the second half, it was completely different. Basically, Washington played one good half of football, and that was enough to... uh to beat Stanford when I turned so I was watching on the second TV UCLA and Oregon when I switched it over it was 21 nothing Washington and Stanford hadn't even got a first down yet so like what kind of and the fact that you like you said Stanford could have won this game when they were getting dominated so early it's just it's just crazy The as good of a coach as David Shaw is the end of the game play calling clock management it's just like head scratching stuff and you're wondering if it's like you're trying to do it a certain way. You're just not, you want to show people a certain, I, I don't know what it is, but it's almost like you're trying to prove a point by not doing what you should be doing. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very strange. Um, Stanford had a backup kicker in there who missed a PAT. Um, so they, so at the end of the game, they were down four instead of three, which would have changed that final drive too, right? Because they instead of trying to get a touchdown, they could have tied it up. Uh, with the field goal, but I, I thought it was really important for Washington to get Miles Gaskin back. Um, you know, they had lost a couple games, but he had 148 yards on 28 carries, so the Huskies really needed him. Um, but you know, Costello getting picked off twice in the first half that certainly hurt. Love had six yards on four carries, but then in the second half, Stanford dominated 271 yards to 146. But a lot of that, I think, is too. Chris Peterson was just like, "Hey, we're up 21 nothing." We're going to win this game, but we're not going to like, you know, extend a whole, you know, expend a whole lot of energy or anything. Uh, I don't know. That's why I felt. I don't know what you felt, felt about it, Dave. No, I think that's right. Um, cool. So that was, I think that was it. So that was Stanford was five. Uh, we had Utah, we already talked about four. Oregon, we talked about is three. Washington was in that game, two. And then Washington State, we talked about uh, was number one. So that's our, that's our Pac 12 roundup. Some strange, beautiful stuff. Strange games. Not like, 
last weekend where all Saturday underdogs won, but some weird stuff. Uh, anyway, now, okay, so we've had a few weeks in a row with six games. This is a, a five-game week, Dave, so uh, a little bit different. We got a couple teams on buys. Do you, you want to go through the games? Let's do it. Okay, no weekday games, so these are all going to be uh, on Saturday. First up, we have UCLA Bruins. <laughs> And they're going to be on the road taking on a hot team right now in the Pac-12 South. Arizona State Sun Devils. This is an 11 a.m. kick. It's played in like Texas or something, right? Is that why? Or is it? Oh, no. Arizona. It's... Do they change times at this time? We're, so we're on the, we just moved the clocks. Uh, for So the, they for... don't change. Everyone else changes. Yes, we change. Okay. But I think there's something okay, on so the ballot new. to like get rid of that. I, I mean, to, we should all get rid of it and just we're not married to the clock, all right? Let's 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 just let's just go with the cycles, all right? All right. Let's just get rid of it. Do so, it. So this right will be eleven AM everywhere, because if it's listed eleven AM, that's both. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, eleven AM <laughs> UCLA going to Tempe to take on Arizona State. UCLA two and seven, Arizona State five and four, and surging ASU is favored by twelve and a half points. Um, making predictions in this sport in any year is foolhardy at best. Uh, making predictions this year is just insane. <laughs> it's, it's so dumb. I am throwing darts at a dartboard. I mean, I usually am, but especially so this year, um, from a matchup perspective, uh, UCLA's defense is not good and ASU's offense just put up 500 yards on the best defense in the league. Um, Eno Benjamin's, uh, probably the best running back they will have faced. Um, I guess the Oklahoma guy's pretty good before he got hurt, but still, uh, Eno Benjamin's really good. Nikhil Harry's definitely the best receiver they've faced. Well, again, the Oklahoma receivers are pretty good, but he's right there. Um, yeah, I mean, UCLA's offense might be able to get some yards up against ASU. Um, they've been playing better of late. We'll see if they have Dorian Thompson Robinson back. Um, but even if they don't, Wilton Spate yeah, is played not better, much right? of a, yeah, not much of a drop off at all. So yeah, I'm gonna take ASU in those points. Give me ASU minus twelve and a half. I think they uh, throw uh, a sixth blowout on UCLA this year. I'm kinda I'm gonna agree with you on this one. Um I I I've I was feeling the UCLA vibe. I was trying to say, hey, there's some points. I'm gonna get what was it, eight and a half they got uh uh, yeah, what was it? Yeah, eight and a half last week uh, at Oregon. All over, we both over UCLA. That did not work out so well. I'm not going to trust them to go on the road again. And uh, you know, it's 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 under two touchdowns. So I'm going to take ASU, who appears to be playing pretty well right now, from what I've watched. All right, let's move on. We got the next one: Washington State Cougars. This is a team, Dave, that won five in a row. Uh, but then they lost four in a row. Colorado Buffalo. Should be a good game. 1230 on ESPN. Washington State going to Boulder. Um, kind of can be a tough, weird road trip. Uh, Washington State's favored by five and a half. Um, here's what we know about Washington State. They played uh, close with Cal, made some mistakes. Gardner Minshew didn't look great, and they still won at home last week. And Cal's in a much better spot right now than Colorado. Um, 
Colorado does not have the defense Cal does. I would not expect Gardner Minshew to have anywhere near as much trouble against Colorado's defense that he did against Cal. Um, Colorado really needs LaVisca Chenault back. Um, the offense looks fine with him out, but with him in there, they looked like they could, you know, yeah, they're not top to bottom, the most talented team in the league by any means. But when they had him in there doing his short yardage stuff, doing his downfield stuff, doing his everything, uh, they were able to make some things work. And um, I'd feel much better about them in this game if he was back. But I'm not getting any indications that he's going to be back. Um, sounds like he's got a toe issue and foot injuries can always be weird. And even if he comes back, he might be limited. So um, I like Washington State to cover this on the road. Um, I think they're going to bounce back from what was a slightly subpar performance against Cal and uh, and get back to uh, blown teams away a little bit offensively. I don't think it's going to be a full blowout, but I think Washington State's going to comfortably score. And I just don't think Colorado can keep up over the length of an entire game. So give me Washington State, I think, by like 10. Yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking Washington State by like 17. So this is going to be my like stone cold lock of the century of the week or whatever they say. What's the, the yeah, so. I just feel like this is going to be Washington State bouncing back after, you know, some weird stuff happened in that Cal game at home. I just think they're going to go on the road and take care of business. They're going to throw the ball all over the field. Uh, we, you know, that defense can be really active. And, you know, I don't know how many uh, receivers Colorado is going to be down, but, you know, it, there's going to be there's going to be a drop. I like the way some of the guys played. Uh, Steven Montez threw the ball, you know, well to, to back up receivers and made some really big plays. Uh, in that game against Arizona, but I think Washington's defense, Washington State's defense is going to be better. I think they're going to score a, a whole bunch of points, and uh, I I don't see them keeping it within a one score game. So at least two score game, but I'm thinking potentially more. So give me Washington State, and I'll lay the five and a half. All right, next up we have Oregon Ducks. The Oregon Ducks controlling the Pac-12 South destiny, taking on Utah Utes. All right, so this game's on at 2.30. Um, Oregon traveling to Salt Lake City, 6-3 uh, um, against uh, Utah, 6-3 and three as well, number 15 in the country. This game's on the Pac-12 network. Um, you, you have to wonder if Tyler Huntley didn't go down, would this still be on the Pac-12 network? I don't know if it was a six-day selection, but um, Utah's favored by three points. Um, this is a really tough one because if you thought Utah had Tyler Huntley, they'd be favored by probably about 10 in this game. Um, they, they were just so clearly playing at a much higher level than Oregon. Um, I don't know that Oregon necessarily figured a whole lot out against UCLA. Um, they, I, I think Her- Herbert looked marginally better, uh, but they're still the same offense. I mean, they're still trying to, um, work everything through Dylan Mitchell in the past game. And then uh, they were able to hit a couple of explosive plays against UCLA, but CJ Verdell was once again, just kind of grinding out, you know, three to four yards of carry, which, um, that can work. They got back to that inside running game a little bit more, but I don't know that they're going to have as much success as ASU did against uh, that Utah front. Um, I think Utah can ugly this one up. Um, I think they can make it ugly defensively, and it's just a question of if they can win in those Utah ways that they used to show before Tyler Huntley gave them hope for more. Um, you know, if they can go back to a Travis Wilson era right now and uh, and just win this game super ugly. Uh Three points, though, feels like a lot for that. Like, I wish I could call a push here. Um, I guess I'll take Utah. I think they win at home, and I don't think they win by two. So 
it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bank on it being a push, um, but I'll take Utah. I think they have a better chance of winning by more than three than Oregon does of uh, keeping this under three. So give me Utah. I was waiting for you to say the line because I wasn't sure who was going to be favored. And then, so in my mind, I was like, okay, who would be favored in this game? I could have seen Oregon being favored in this game. So I'm going to take the team that's getting points. I'm going to take Oregon here just because I, in my mind, it's more of a pick them. So if I can get a field goal on one side or the other, I will take it. So I'll just go with Oregon on this one because I don't really know what to expect. Um, I do, you know, Utah just looked demoralized in the second half when, uh, when Huntley went down. I'm not sure what the offense is going to going to be, but I could see them going back to some of the early season struggles. And uh, and you know, not saying Oregon's playing lights out right now. And I, I'm not putting a whole lot into that win over UCLA because of all the special teams miscues, like you talked about. But I I I feel like they'll go in and play okay. And uh, Utah just might be reeling a little bit after the loss of Huntley. So I'll take Oregon and the points. I think what they're going to do is run the ball like 80% of the time. They're going to use Shelly as a runner a lot too. He's a dual threat guy. So I think they're going to just try to throw out a, they've done this before in the past. I remember a famous UCLA game where they brought in a backup quarterback after like three snaps and they had this entire game plan for him just being pure zone read. And they just murdered UCLA, just completely <laughs> annihilated them off the field with some like random backup quarterback. I could see them just coming in and saying, okay, we got to scrap our real offense and we've just got to win this game and we're going to do it by just throwing some junk out there. Um, Utah's Utah's consistently well coached. They're consistently one of the best coached teams in the league. I can't see them just sitting back and saying, okay, we're going to run the same stuff we ran with Huntley and we're going to do it with a, with a, with a freshman, with a freshman quarterback. I just don't, I just don't see that. We'll see. All right. So that's one game we have different. Uh, Next up. We have Oregon State Beavers on the road, taking on Stanford Cardinal. All right. So this game is on at 6 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, Oregon State 2 and 7, traveling on the road to take on Stanford. Uh, Let me pull up a line just as soon as my thing stops freezing. Stanford favored. I know it's a big shocker. By 21 and one half football points. So it's a big, it's a big spread. It's a big spread. And we've talked about this before. Big spreads kind of, uh, kind of worry us. All right. So does Oregon state have the look and feel of a team that's given up to you? Cause they don't to me. No. Uh, I mean, they, they, they're still feisty at, at, at spots. Stanford on the other hand, they've got to be getting a little bit disappointed at this point. Right. Five and four, three and three in the league. I don't think I've seen a David Shaw team quit. And I'm not calling that or saying that that's going to happen. But if you're looking at which team might have a have a lull in energy, I think Stanford's the more likely candidate here. Um, Oregon State's offense has been pretty good and Stanford's defense has been just okay. Um, Stanford's offense has been pretty good when they figure out what they want to do. I think they're going to actually be able to run the ball in this one, and they're going to be able to control the clock a little bit more than they're used to because Oregon State's defense is just not good. But I think that lends itself more to being a tighter and lower scoring game because Stanford will be content to just run the ball and get back to their bread and butter, where Oregon State, they've been able to move the ball on teams this year. Um, So 21.5 is too many for me. I'm going to take Oregon State. I just don't think... um, 
I, I don't think Stanford's going to go to their full aerial attack against this team, and it's going to shorten the game and make it so it's you know a comfortable Stanford win. But I like them more by 17 than 21 or 22 at this point. Me too. And Oregon State just burns me every time. Like I take them at a bunch of points, and then they end up getting you know Cal beats them by 42 or whatever, and like Cal can't score a, a point against anyone else, and they score 42 against or 49 against Oregon State. But that's a lot. David Shaw teams don't cover huge spreads like that typically. And you just look at like what Stanford has scored in their games. Uh, I mean, they scored 17 against USC. I mean, they only scored 30 against UC Davis, you know, so they about like, you really want them to go out and, uh, and score a bunch of points. I mean, they scored 17 against Notre Dame. Uh, they scored 21 against Utah. I mean, there's like three games right there that they hadn't scored that as, as many points as this spread. Now, I know it's, uh, I know it's Oregon State. Now they, they scored twenty against Arizona State in a win, uh, and they they scored twenty three this past week in a loss. It, I that's a lot of points. I mean, if Oregon State scores a couple of times, are you thinking Stanford's going to put up forty two points? Like I don't think it's going to happen. So uh, twenty one and a half is way too many for me in this one. Uh, I think Stanford will win. It won't be close, but it's going to be closer than twenty one and a half points. Absolutely. Uh, then our last uh, last game we got California Golden Bears in the Coliseum to take on USC Trojans. Seven thirty game on ESPN. Cal five and four. USC five and four. USC is favored by five point five points. Okay. Um, so uh, emotional stuff. Cal just had kind of a tough loss on the road. USC just had a um, 17 point win at home. Um, uh, that said, uh, Cal, they can they, they make things just kind of ugly. And I think they will have finally figured out at this point that they cannot run Brandon McElwain out there anymore. And their defense, uh, USC. Let's see. Let's see which teams they've played that have as good a defense. So Utah has um, probably a slightly better defense. Nothing offensively. Like they scored 28 of the jokingest points you've ever seen in your life. Uh, Texas, pretty good defense, scored 14 points. Um, But other than that, they really haven't played great defenses at all, all year. Um, Cal's got pretty close to a great defense this is going to be a real test of clay helton his play calling as uh the new play caller and whether that's actually a fix or whether it's just you know lipstick on the pig um i'm thinking it's more lipstick on the pig i think they've got some fundamental flaws in this scheme um i like cal to cover this wouldn't be shocked if they won on the road it's a tough spot cal just went on the road they've got to play another road game the next week great scheduling um but uh i think the bears they look they look hungry for another win i don't know if they get it but i think they cover the five and a half i do yeah five and a half is too much for me i will take the five and a half points in this one uh usc did cover against oregon state um with that late field goal that they had but when they cover it's always just like this just barely it, it wasn't going that way and they cover i mean i think cal's defense giving up 10 points to washington give it up uh, 19 points to Washington State with an offense that was turning the ball over and and really putting the defense in some bad spots. I think they're gonna, you know, it's gonna be tough for USC to get above, you know, 21 points in this game. I think so. Uh, five and a half is a lot. Uh, 
Um, you know, if Cal can figure things out and score some points, I mean, I like the way the USC defense has been playing. Um, you know, if Cal, if, if Cal just turns the ball over by switching quarterbacks and stuff, then yeah, I think this could, you know, it could get ugly, but I feel like Cal just does some good things on, on, you know, on offense, doesn't screw up on special teams. The defense is going to play well and it should be a close game. So that's enough for me to take the, the five and a half. So, um, advanced stats has this as the best defense that USC has played. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, even, even better than Utah after that loss to Arizona state. I mean, the, to beat Washington without scoring an offensive touchdown, it's uh pretty impressive, you know? So Washington, Washington state back-to-back weeks, neither one of them is going over 20 points. Like that's, uh, that's saying something. And this is not, this USC offense look good. Just running, you know, running all over Oregon state, but you're not going to be able to do that against Cal. And yep. you got the whole factor of Clay held fire, Justin. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that. Um, so that could be interesting. All right. So we'll agree on that one too. So we, let's see, we agree on four. And the only one we have differently is Oregon uh, and Utah. And you gave me a really convincing argument that you are right about Utah, but I'm going to stick with my original pick. Um, but I, I like what you're saying about that. I could, I could see that happening for sure. I think that'll be a really fun game. Uh, I'm not. I, I. I. I'm not super confident in what I said. I rarely am. I sound confident, but I rarely believe anything I say. Um, but I think that'll be a fun game. It's just weird because you see stuff and you're like, "Oh, I get that. I. I know what this team's going to do. I see how they they're playing. I see how that's going to play." And and you know the way Utah was playing, and you start to watch the beginning of that game. We're like, "This doesn't look like the same Utah team." And just a few things go the other way. Arizona State's way, they get that huge play, and it's like completely different. Like everything you've seen. It's like that team isn't doesn't exist anymore, and they're scrapping just to 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 stay alive. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Oregon State. I mean, or, Oregon State. Oregon could go out there and just you know go up twenty one nothing or something, and and Utah goes into a shell, or Utah comes out fired up. They get a huge like special teams play, kick a fifty six yard field goal. They're up like ten nothing, and Oregon just goes into their shell. You know, I don't know. Um, it's a Pac twelve. That's it's just anything can happen. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Questions? Yeah. Uh, Five and I think we got the first one. Five and three. Is that the one? Okay. Uh, This is from Matt. Hey, guys, something interesting. I noticed when looking at the uh, standings across college football, the SEC has two out of three. I'm sorry. Two out of their four teams with a five and three record uh, ranked. The rest of college football has zero. Okay, so they're saying two out of their four teams with a five and three record are ranked. No one else in college football has that has teams ranked like that. So eight game conference schedules, Patsy's in November. How much longer do you think the collective power five conference conference world will allow this co- to continue? Is Mississippi state that much better than Stanford? I hate crying about East coast bias, but it pre- uh, permeates everything in this sport. Thoughts. Yeah. To an extent, um, I think Washington not having them ranked was probably, you know, I know, I know they've got three losses or whatever, but not having them ranked and they've been, I mean, they're still really good. I mean, they lost a two point game to Cal um, and lost to Auburn. And there's some, you know, I, I, I think they're hilariously boring to watch, but <laughs> even still with all of that, they've been pretty good this year. I mean, even when you factor in every little bit of that, um, it, it's it's kind of nutty to not have them ranked in the initial uh, CFP rankings. Um, and, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I find that kind of goofy. Um, 
As for the SEC, I mean, Mississippi State, I mean, if you look at any kind of advanced stats metrics, it, it shakes out. I think Texas A&M is probably a little bit overrated, but for the most part, it shakes out okay. Uh, the SEC is really good. I mean, I don't think you can discount it over much. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it can be kind of hard to stomach, especially, you know, I think Joel Klatt actually had a really good breakdown of these rankings. The league that actually got screwed was the Big Ten. Um, with with the rankings in the initial list, um, and at the expense, and the a- ACC randomly got like, who'd they get in? University of Virginia, Boston College, and North Carolina State, Syracuse. None of these teams should be ranked. Not yeah. a single one of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't. I, I I think it's more just randomness. But I, I SEC, I don't really have as much of a problem with right now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think all that stuff certainly helps and inflates the rankings. And then you have all oh, this, I beat a rank, you know, number 25 team where in the other conferences, they wouldn't get that. They wouldn't, the five and three team they beat wouldn't be ranked. Um, you get that in the SEC, but to David's point, they, there's some really good athletes there. There's some, you know, some good teams. Um, the problem is, it's just Alabama is just so much better than everybody else. It's like, they're playing a different sport. So it's hard. I, this is a problem in college football because it's, yeah, to have Alabama be this good and like just so much better than everybody. You like LSU is the number three team and they don't even look like they belong on the same field. Uh, that's that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Far and away the best team and Clemson's probably far and away the, the second best team. And still far away from Alabama. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. Next question. Sure. You All know. right. This is from uh, Devin from Tacoma. This is the worst it'll get for UW. Ryan and Dave, in your last podcast, you guys mentioned that you don't think UW has the talent to run a multiple and balanced offense. However, I strongly believe that this is the worst it'll get for UW for many years to come, and it was inevitable despite national hype coming into this year. When Chris Peterson first got to UW, he had to recruit a lot of culture setters and tryhards, i.e. Ben Burkirvan and Noodlearm. These guys are all seniors now, and tryhards can only get you so far, such as losing the Cal 10 to 12. But if you look at the trend of blue chip recruits UW has been polling and our recruiting rankings, UW is at its low point for the next four to five years. With that being said, how would you rank the Pac-12's team's staying power, as in their abilities to stay good year after year? We have seen teams like Washington State and Utah be able to be relevant year after year despite numerous recruiting and disadvantages, and teams like UCLA not be able to despite having everything in the world at their disposal. Thanks. Love the show. Uh, The first thing I would say is recruiting is one of our – best predictors for success but it's not the only one and there are some outliers that are consistent outliers like you look at michigan state year after year they don't recruit at all like they they don't recruit anywhere near at a high level and they're consistently pretty good and with the occasional elite year kansas state's among those um they do it kind of differently they get a bunch of transfers and they've got a robust walk-on program but they you know, they're having a down year this year, but by and large, they're consistently much better than their recruiting rankings would indicate. Mike Leach historically has been that exact same thing. Um, when you have a scheme that is, I think Mike Leach does two things. First, he has a great scheme that he is married to in such a fundamental way that it will almost never change. And he's fine running the same eight plays and just practicing them over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and it just works and it hasn't stopped working for like 15 years. But I think what's underrated about Leach is he also has a very, very good eye for receiving talent, especially even more so than quarterback talent. I mean, that group of receivers, they're all really good. And I don't think a single one of them was a really highly rated recruit at all. Um, 
And uh, also, he does obviously a good job plucking quarterbacks out. Gardner Minshew was just an also ran who was going to go. What was he going to do? Back up Alabama. And instead, he's, yeah, he's be like a GA, he, basically. Right. And instead, he's going to be, you know, potentially Heisman contender at Washington State and might even have a pro future now. Um, yeah, I think he's just got a knack for that. So that's what's going on with Washington State. Utah is a special case. Uh, again, I think that's, again, from a talent perspective, they can recruit those big offensive linemen and big defensive linemen in a way that I think other teams in the league can't really. Um, but the question was about UW. Um, my issue with those kind of pro style balanced offenses is that they aren't differentiators. Um, and I think when you, when you don't recruit and I, when I'm saying at an elite level, I don't mean like top 25. I mean, if you're not recruiting at like a top five, top 10 level with some consistency, consistency, I don't think you can have that sort of offense be by itself an elite unit. Um, you know, I think they had it that first, uh, that first year with Browning with John Ross, where they were really, really good, um, because he was truly an elite receiver. Um, but I think unless you've got multiple guys like that, it's just hard to do that year after year. I think, I think you almost have to have something that's your real bread and butter. Um, and I just don't know that this offense has that. And I, I could be wrong. I, you follow UW a lot closer than I do, Devin, but, um, I'm seeing it at UCLA and I think UCLA's offense might end up good. I just don't think it's ever going to be like blur level or one of these offenses that can allow you to make up for a, for a weakish defense at times. Um, and I don't know that you, I think UW's in kind of the same boat from an offensive perspective. I think it's good. I just don't think it's ever going to be really great. And I, you know, I, I agree. So he, uh, Devin included a, a chart, a bit of an eye chart. Um, and it has three different scales that none of them are labeled, so it's good. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's basically showing a line of the blue chip recruits that the team is getting by year, and you know it, it went from like four in 2010 to two in 2011, went up to six and seven, 12 and 13, and down to three, and that's been steadily climbing ever since. And he estimating 11 blue chippers will be coming in in 2019, so kind of going up every year, and that would make the total on the team go up and he's he's estimating 37 um blue chip you know recruits would be on the team for 2019 so more and more um yeah that's good there's still like about half of what usc has and there's you know they're not ways i'm so like what dave's saying that's still not recruiting at a top five level uh it's more of a top 15 level It's, it's certainly getting better it might be you know, because of the superior coaching, that might be well enough to win the Pac-12 for the next three years. I mean, who knows? We'll see. Um, but it's good. But if you're talking about competing with the Ohio States and LSUs, um, you're going to have to have a significant uh, coaching advantage because you're not going to have a talent advantage. But, you know, Chris Peterson is building that up. I know we thought there might be some reluctance to doing that where he wants to get more of the try-hard guys you're talking about um, that, you know, and develop them. And I think you have to have those guys still, but you'd also need some, some five-star dudes that just come in and, and play like USC. You could argue, I mean, say what you want about the USC coaching staff, but they got three or four or five-star freshmen that are just playing because they came in the program. They're just really freaking good, you know? So you'd like to get some of those. So I think Washington, you know, adds to that. It'll certainly help because they have, they have that coaching there. They have, the development of these players. But if you start off with someone better, I think it'll help a lot too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This is from Alan from Pasadena. 
Holy, there's a lot of words on this. Okay. Hello, Ryan and David. In the event of a new coaching hire at USC, many fans want the administration to hire a coach without any previous ties to the university. However, that seems like it would be out of the norm of how coaching hires usually work in college football amongst the games, amongst the game's current top coaches. Uh, okay. Most coaches in college football have previous ties to their university. And he gives a long list of um of guys, but first on the list is Nick Saban, no previous ties. That's all you need to do. Nick, you, know, you want to be Nick Saban or you want to be somebody else? You want to be all these other guys? <laughs> no, you want to be Nick Saban, no previous ties. Um, I get this a lot. He says, interestingly, the coaches uh, without previous ties to their current school are either from West Virginia, Saban and Fisher, or the Northeast, Chip Kelly, Brian Kelly, and uh, Franklin. Do you think this is uh, a real, do you think it is realistic that USC breaks the trend in college football and with USC hires a new head coach without previous ties? University, thanks for putting on a great show every week, Alan in Pasadena. And I'll just do this real quick. I get some pushback on this. That's my, my, like, I don't think USC is going to make a coaching change at this point. It looks like Clay Helton's going to be sticking around. So I don't really like, I'm not talking about, I, I hate getting all the horrible, hey, you should hire Jeff Fisher or you should hire Chris Richard. I hate getting all of those, especially when there's no coaching search going on. And I don't think there will be one. But my criteria was yes, USC should hire a, coach uh, that has experience as a head coach in college football and has been very successful and doesn't know the USC fight song. And that, it, that really makes some USC fans mad. And I got someone email me this really long thing about, well, what about this guy? What? How could you just, and for me, it's sort of like, uh, Dave, you have kids. Like if your kids go out and they go trick or treating and for the next six days, they eat way too much candy. They're puking all over the place and stuff. You could tell them, you know, you should eat that in moderation at that point, but that's not going to help. Or you just take their candy away. I think at this point, USC's done this three times in a row. You take their candy away and say, no more hiring anyone that knows USC. You can't hire anyone you know. You could only hire based on a resume. So that was my kind of logic going into this because yes, there might be some amazing coach out there that went to USC or something or whatever it was, or it was an assistant coach there many years ago. Would you be excluding them and it would hurt you? Like, I mean, at this point, I'm willing to do that. You, I'm willing to say you only need to hire on resume, not anything else. Not because you know the guy or he was here before or whatever. That was my thought process. Well, and I, I would be clear here, too. Um, when they're hiring former – so the guys they're hiring – all right, so I'm going to go down this list because I think this is instructive. It's a good list. All right, okay. so Nick Saban, Nick Saban, no previous ties. Urban Meyer. Yes, he was a former grad assistant at Ohio State. What do you think played a bigger role in him being hired at Ohio State? <laughs> the that national championship. Or the fact that he won national championships at Florida, had an undefeated team at Utah, and has slayed everywhere he's been, and is also a scumbag. But whatever. Um, okay, Urban Meyer. Dabo Swinney, former assistant coach on a team that was good. It's one thing to promote from within when you're good. It's another thing to hire some random assistant from outside. All right. Jim Harbaugh. What did he do at Stanford? Was that the reason that he was hired at Michigan or was it because he was a former assistant coach there? No, he was his, he was a player there. His father was an assistant coach. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Former player there. Was it because of what he did at Stanford and in the NFL or was it just because he was a former player at Michigan? Yeah. I mean, they liked it that he was a Michigan man, but it wasn't the only reason. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, David Shaw, Hired from within from a very successful program. Yes. Brian Kelly was no previous ties. Okay. Um, 
Kirby Smart, that's one where you could make a claim. Again, he's coming from a coaching tree, but let's just stick a pin in that one. That's one where we can make a claim. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, no previous ties. Mark Richt, I mean, elite year after elite year after elite year at Georgia. <laughs> you hire a chance to hire him? Yeah, go ahead and hire him. Scott Frost, national champion UCF. You have a chance to hire him? You go ahead and hire him. Hire him. Tom Herman, former grad assistant at Texas, put together elite years at Houston. You hire him. Yeah. Like these aren't other people wanted talking, to hire him. Like other people right. wanted to hire them. That's the, right. the difference here. So I think I'm particularly sensitive to this too, because UCLA does the exact same thing <laughs> up until the Chip Kelly hire. But it's when you hire some dude who's just sitting on the bench, who's like no ties to anything besides your stupid school. That's what we're talking about. It's like when USC is going to hire Jack Del Rio, like when that does happen, <laughs> That's a joke hire. <laughs> like, and that's what we're talking about. Like, if they went and hired, I don't know, is there a USC tie guy who, like, some former assistant who's gone on to great things? Um, I mean, you could say, like, Chris Richard was a, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to say great things, but he's he's done pretty well in the NFL under Pete Carroll. And then I forget where he is now, but he's like a defensive yeah, there's, coordinator. There's probably some guy where you'd be like, oh, yeah, I mean, he was a grad assistant in 1983, but I mean, he's clearly an elite coach. And you'd be like, oh, that's fine. But it's when you just hire these jokers, like these complete clowns, that's just not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, anyway. Chris Richard would not be in the category of doing great things. He's done pretty well. But that's that's like the – but the only reason you would look at him, go, oh, he was under Pete Carroll. He was a player under Pete Carroll. I'm like, no, that's that's not a reason to hire somebody. Right. I, I get this a lot. It'd be like if it'd be like if Justin Wilcox like won 11 games at Cal like two years in a row and then USC hired him. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's completely fine. He's yeah. he's turned into an elite coach. Yeah, Great. he was he was at USC for a couple of years or whatever, and then you know got fired, and you bring him back because now he's good or whatever. You know, yeah, that's fine. That that happens. That's fine and normal. It's when you hire Jack Del Rio, or when you're UCLA and you hire Rick Neuheisel or Carl Durrell, like or Bob Toledo or any of these guys. But Carl Durrell was a he was a wide receivers coach for the Broncos, right? I mean, that's I pretty good. So, I mean, you've got it. You've when you have that opportunity, you can't pass it up. <laughs> okay. All right, you want to right. the next one? Yeah, this is from Lobo Jangles. Pump the brakes on Herm. This was sent, <clears throat> in fairness to Lobo, uh, this was sent before uh, Herm put the beat down on Utah. Guys, eagerly await the podcast every single week. Certainly appreciate the Herm love given in this week's pod. However, I'd pump the brakes a bit. He's done a decent job, but let's keep in mind, ASU is 4-4, four and four, and as usual, merely hoping for a bowl game. More than hope now. <laughs> uh, yes, they have kept games close on the surface. Seven-point losses. A closer look at three of those losses would reflect the ASU scored late. Down 14 to make it look more respectable. If you look at our third quarter play, we are significantly getting out coached at halftime. Our third quarter stats are atrocious. A good coaching staff doesn't lose the San Diego State and Stanford games. Danny Gonzalez and Antonio Pierce have done a stellar job, especially considering the youth. However, the offense is unimaginative and passive. Sure, Manny hasn't played well. However, the offense he's overseen has made a fifth-year senior QB and first-round draft pick wide receiver look fairly pedestrian. Herm isn't the train wreck that much of the narrative preseason put on him, but he needs to win three of four to validate him being a positive. I think that's fair, and they did it, and I think the offense looked better against Utah than it's looked all year. So positive signs here in the final third. This right? is six days ago, but it seems like this was sent in even before the USC game somehow because that – that seems to be a little down, like a little bit of a negative email for coming I, off. I of think I think he's he's probably one of those one of those types who's like never too high, never too low. Gotcha. You know. All right. So, and I respect that. I'm usually the same way. <laughs> not not at all. Not at all. Thanks, Lobo. <laughs> uh, good one from Lobo there. All right. Uh, tiebreaker and other ideas. 
we're, we're kind of pushing time here. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of, we, I think we're like 20 emails today or something. So text and everything, uh, tiebreaker and other ideas, other ideas, put an email link on the podcast page. Uh, Kevin, there is right on the podcast page. If you click on at the top, it says, uh, contact info at the very top left, just click on that. And, uh, all our info is there. Plus we say it every single time on every single show, uh, add volume control to the player. We don't have any control over the player. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that. That's an audio. I, I mean, we put it up on on our page. You can use any kind of podcasting app you want. You should be able to. Uh, to use and apparently, that. Stitcher will occasionally give you uh, the the previous year's episode from that same day. Yeah, well, I didn't know what was going on, but that, yeah. that was a Stitcher thing. But yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. Uh, tiebreaker. Okay, so you guys could very well tie in your picks contest. Uh, no, I'm going to beat them. Don't worry about it. But okay. How about a tiebreaker whereby you each pick the winner and spread? Uh, he didn't say of what closest earns a tiebreak point and earns two. If winner and spread picked correctly, I don't know what he's saying there. So maybe he's saying instead of just picking against the spread, we can pick the winner and the spread. And that oh. way we, have, we have two points possible with each pick. I think we might still end up at a tie <laughs> with that. We could. But yes. Yeah, we'll, do. we'll uh, see how we, the you know, if I pull away like I expect to in the next couple of weeks and we'll see, we won't have to, but you know, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, yeah, by the way, yeah, you yeah. have at least two listeners in Santa Barbara, both Bruins. Cool. Santa cool. Santa Barbara's great. Santa Barbara is great. All right. Um, new text message. All right. On your podcast, you said Jake Browning was the all-time Pac-12 passing leader. I think we said like he's something like that, and we were shining on. It wasn't like a real thing. We, we don't look things up on this show. <laughs> he's he like said Washington. He's, oh, time. oh, he's it's a sensitive Wazoo fan. All okay. right, here we go. He's about three thousand yards short of the actual leader, Washington <laughs> State's Luke Falk. Browning is eighth. Pro tip: When you think passing, think air raid. Think Washington State. And then he had a second text message. Oh, and you called Utah the Pac-12's marquee team, so you don't think. Did we do that? Uh, Did we say those words? I I think you were you were definitely high on Utah last week, saying they were playing the best. No, no, and I I I'll fully cop to that. But Pac-12's marquee team. I think we've been hammering the Cougs, right? Yeah, we had a whole show about wanting them in the CFP. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so you don't think the Pac-12's number eight ranked team in the CFP is the marquee team? Wow, no blind spots, eh? They're probably going to go down. What does he think? We're in the bag for Utah on this show. (laughs) I picked them fifth in right. the South. Fifth. <laughs> and the South. This must be this must be a new listener. They still Thank might, you, new listener, for the text messages. Yes. They still might uh I mean they might finish fifth now. Who knows? Like they look like they were gonna finish first. If I end up right, that would be like Which I would, mean horrifying, and I'm sorry, Utah fans, but it would also be a beautiful It'd be beautiful pretty time. crazy. Well, we got another text message. Brian from Livermore. Last week you talked about scheduling being an issue. And hurting the Pac-12 nationally. Now that everyone is hanging their hat on Wazoo making a playoff run, does that change a prediction of the Arizona Wazoo game in two weeks? Since Arizona has a bye week prior, actually, uh, I wrote about that a little bit um, for you know for Arizona to make the run, um, they they do have to beat Washington State on the road, but they do get a bye week, and Washington State's on the road at Colorado, so that's a that's a little bit of an advantage for Arizona. We'll see. Uh, how likely on a scale of 1 to 10 is that Arizona beats Wazoo if you only look at the play on the field, regardless of scheduling benefit, in favor of Arizona? Is Arizona for real right now or just catching upper middle of the pack 
on a bad night on the road? Are they incentivizing hurting key players on the supposing on the supposing team, or maybe he means opposing team, or was that just kind of being too aggressive? I'm writing this prior to the games on Saturday, but after the CU Arizona game on Friday, as an Oregon alum, should we be satisfied with progress that we've had this season compared to last and trust the process, or should I be concerned with the recent lack of identity and creativity on offense? Of what's left on Oregon's schedule, what do you predict will be final regular season record? I'm really confused by this text message. All right, let's start with the last question because that seems like the simplest. Okay. All right, so Oregon, they have at Utah, Arizona State at home, at Oregon State. I say they go two and one. Yeah. Um, you think they're going to lose to Utah and beat I think it. they'll lose to Utah. I think they'll, I think it'll be like a nearly a, here's what I think. I think it's like a pretty close game at Utah. And I think it's a pretty close game at home against Arizona State. They win one, lose one. Yeah. And then they beat Oregon State on the road. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, but, I mean, they could be one and two easily. I mean, I think they could be three and zero, oh, to be honest. But I, I don't think I, I think zero oh and three is a possibility too. So I don't know. It's, it's yeah, a Pac so twelve. Two and one would leave them what eight and four. Yeah, pretty good. Eight and four in the year. That's not bad. Um, <laughs> and then uh, he said, "Should you trust the process or be concerned?" Look, I'm always on board with being concerned. I think there are some reasons to doubt at this point. I think the fact that the defense hasn't taken a step up this year would be a one concerning data point for me. The offense dropping off over the last four weeks, especially, would be another one. Um, you know, the offense was looking gangbusters through the first five weeks and even into the Washington game. But then the last three games really um, been not so great. They went away from that interior running game, especially against Washington State and Arizona. Kind of inexplicably, I think play calling is still kind of a huh um, thing. And that was one of the things we isolated in the bowl game last year was, oh, the play calling is kind of wonky without um willie taggart and out there um so that's still a work in progress but you know there's still a lot to like i think justin herbert hasn't had as good a year as he would have needed to be like a top 15 pick so i think it makes sense for him to come back um you know i think he's shown some warts over the last few weeks especially that would make me think he's not going to get that sterling grade that everyone seems to think he's going to get um so I, I think there's still reason for optimism, but there's also some reasons to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on that optimism because there's, yeah, there've been some things that are wrong this year that I think you can pin on coaching. And then what's the, what was he talking about incentivizing hurting players? I wasn't sure what he was talking about. There. I don't know. I think it's a reference to something that happened in the game that, you know, fans are more likely to pay attention to and we're not. I think there are probably some targeting calls would be my guess. Okay. Um, but uh, how likely on a scale of one to ten is it that Arizona beats Wazoo if you only look at play on the field? Um, not super likely. I mean, I think I would have them as like I don't know, minimum ten point dogs in that game, right? Yeah, I would say nine, ten, something in that range. I mean, I think they have a chance. I mean, I don't think they're they're blowout material at this point in the year. I think they're playing a lot better. I think that defense can give Minshew a little bit of trouble. He's been pretty good at avoiding pass rushes this year, but I think they can make him a little jumpy back there. And um, offensively, uh, Washington State's defense isn't great. I think Arizona can move the ball on them. They've been moving the ball on everybody of late. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they can win it. I just don't think they're going to be anywhere close to favored. So, I don't right. know, on a scale of 1 to 10, a 3? Yeah, something like that. 
But, you know, it does help. I think the schedule helps a little bit. And we've seen that impact games. So uh, that could, it depends how good, you know, Arizona's going to come out and play. But uh, they, that could help. Yep. All right. We got John from San Jose. Changes at USC. All right. Love the podcast. I have a couple questions. Dave, as an outsider to the USC program, what do you think of Lynn Swan and Clay Helton concerning the late season coaching changes at USC? All right. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming this is about T. Martin getting his play calling revoked and uh, then um, Neil Calloway getting fired and Tim Drevno moving over to offensive line. Is that what we're talking about I here? I think, yes, that's what he's, uh, that's what he's well, referring first, to. First, um, from a basic logic perspective, um, I think Clay Helton is lying that he was not told to do this by Lynn Swan. I'm sure it was something to the effect of, hey, Clay, you got to make some changes. And Clay said, all right, let's do these ones. And Lynn's like, sure, those are changes. Um, but that's that would be my sense of this. I don't yeah. think any other explanation makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and then what do I think about it? I think it's rearranging deck chairs on what we already know is going to be a failed coaching regime. Now, I think they should keep Clay Helton for many, many decades to come. <laughs> However, um, look, the writing's on the wall. UCLA and USC have both done this dance before. I think UCLA is more fond of it, which is letting a coach hang on for many, many years after his ex- expiration date. Uh, I think Clay Helton has hit that point. I think you could you could at least argue. Now, I think Ryan would argue the opposite, but you could at least argue that he has screwed up the quarterback position once again. Um, I think that's at least a valid argument you can make. I don't know that it's the right one, but you could make it. Um, and that's twice in three years that you could make the argument that he has picked the wrong quarterback when he's faced with the competition. Um, that's not great. And the offense looking like this when they've got five stars all over the field, that's also not great. The defense not being dominant and, in fact, allowing some teams to just run the ball all over them. This is, I mean, with the amount of talent USC has, uh, they should pretty much never look like they currently do. They should never be five and four. It's it's bonkers. So hard to argue um, with I, you there. Yeah, I think there's some other stuff going on at USC. Obviously, they've got a lot of issues on the just administration end that make maybe firing a coach a little bit more unlikely than it would be otherwise. But I, I the writing's on the wall. This this thing's done. Yeah. And then he had another one. Um, yeah, the next one is for both of you. It looks like the writing is on the wall for T. Martin at USC. Where do you think his next job should be as a good fit since he wants to be a head coach someday? Oh, I think he should learn how to coach an offense first, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, he's. I, it's it's hard to say if he's running Clay Helton's thing or if it was, I don't think a lot of it was his own deal, but he's developed wide receivers well. He's the best recruiter on the staff, and, and it, it's unfortunate for someone like him that has to uh, – they have at least half the staff that doesn't really recruit. So the the guys that do have to carry all this extra weight, they're doing all the extra recruiting and stuff. So he would be a good addition to anybody, but probably I would guess, I mean, his wife has, uh, you know, she's like in singing industry and stuff or whatever, you know, all that. So she does stuff out here, but if it was just pure coaching, probably back in the sec somewhere, uh, you know, he came from, he was at Kentucky before, uh, but we'll see what happens there. There was one, um, uh, uh, couple of questions on WSU you skipped over. I, do, did you skip that on purpose or? Is it again, things that are being reminded about? Uh, no, it's, I don't think so. It says it was from two days ago. It was from, oh. okay. Yeah. So no, it's just, I don't, I, maybe it skipped it. Um, Spencer Ward says, how's it going guys? Uh, I'm a student at Wazoo and have a couple of questions. Firstly, what role do you think Washington state plays in PAC 12 football? Um, uh, Significant role now. The only team with one loss. Um, yeah, come on. Yeah, this is you know we 
We're, we're not the, anti Wilson. In the Leach era, it's going to be, oh, he goes on to explain what he means. Okay. I feel like uh, Washington State is almost uh, the conference troll due to our King Mike Leach, as well as being impossible for Washington State to sustain uh, status as a top power due to obvious recruiting disadvantages. Also, what do you think about the fact that the smallest stadium in the Pac-12 seems to cause so much mayhem uh, in opposing teams' heads? Washington State students Take a lot of pride in this, and we think we have the craziest students in the pack. P.S. I heard you guys enjoying the misnaming of other schools, so I'll contribute uh, one of ours. N-S-A-F. Uh, okay, well, I can't say that one. Um, oh, the, oh, not suitable. What? Not suitable. What is? No, what? He, he, he corrects it in the second email. I typoed N-S-W in it. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, thanks, guys. And always, go Cougs and Huck the Fuskies. So he had one for USC that we can't really say. Yeah, I can't really say that one. <laughs> There's one. Um, so here's what I would say about Leach. Um, and this is the thing that I think should get people like legitimately, I think, pretty pumped about the prospect of maintaining this level of success. He did it already. I mean, he did it at Texas Tech consistently. Texas Tech was dog doo-doo before he got there. He never had a losing season. And had him pretty cranking by the time he got uh, canned in 2009. They went 11 and two the previous year, almost won the Big 12. Um, maybe they did win the Big 12. I can't even remember. Um, in 2008, uh, finished the year ranked in the top 15. Like he did this exact thing before. And honestly, Lubbock, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit easier to recruit to Lubbock, but a very similar situation. I think if he'd been given a, even a little bit more time there, he might have had him really rolling because I think people were starting to get that that thing is not just a gimmick. Um, the same thing is happening now at Washington State. You know, it took three years to kind of build it, but now he's doing exactly what he did at Texas Tech: nine and four, eight and five, nine and four, eight and one now. And this is looking like that 2008 Texas Tech team where they finished 11 and two, seven one in conference. Like this is that elite year. And they went right back to being eight and four the next year, but they're not dropping off and going like five and seven, which is what you would historically have at like a Washington State. They'd have at a peak year and then really drop down. It's not recruiting dependent. What he is doing is not recruiting dependent. It's basically can he get a competent quarterback back there who can sling it? And right now he has, you know, a much better one than he usually has. But even still, all you need is just a guy who's got a reasonable arm who can make decisions. And it's not. They don't need to be a super athlete. They don't need to be anything crazy. Um, and he's got a great eye for receiver talent. So that's sustainable um, perpetually. So I, I, I don't see Washington State dropping back to being a 5-7 and seven team. I know the recruiting rankings would predict that, but nothing in Mike Leach's history would indicate that. No, and the good hires bringing in Tracy Clays. Uh, you know, when you get a good uh, a coordinator and you got to replace them and you're able to replace them that well that quickly, that's – that's great for for Mike Leach too. So, um, you know, we've we've seen him really like to groom guys, even take you know former walk ons and have them be in the system for a couple of years. But for him to take a transfer like that and have him just mesh and play at a higher level than what Luke Falk was even playing, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, that I mean, Washington State's legit, and if at the worst they're going to be a thorn in the sides of the the typical. North powers, and at best, they'll be 
the, the team you got to beat. And right now they're looking like that. I mean, I know they were seven and zero last year and end up losing four games, but um, you know, this is a year where I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think they really have a great shot in the apple cup and uh, you know, I'm not saying they have a great shot at the playoff. I don't know if you want to make the playoff. I think it's probably better to just go to the Rose bowl, but uh, they, they could do it this year. Oh, they should definitely try to make the playoff. Yeah. 100%. You think so? All right. This is from Nick. You ready? Yes. Shout oh. out, rundown, preview, and question. Oh, we got to start moving. You ready yeah. to move? Yeah, let's move. You mean like skip it? <laughs> no, I mean, just don't read everything. There's too much in there. All right. I'm just going to read your questions, Nick, but I'll read out your, your, your beginning. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Shout out to Ryan going against the USC in the spread. Abraham and David, he graduated from Fuckla, but he knocks his team with Chip Kelly Woods. All right, he's got his questions. Uh, also, his predictions. Oregon over Utah, ASU over Fuckla, Washington State over Colorado, Stanford over Garbage, he means OSU, and USC over Cal. Now, questions. Now with the injury report in Huntley, who wins? Oh, it, injury to Huntley. Who wins the Pac-12 North, South, and champion? Okay. He says USC, Washington State, and USC wins it all. Wow. I mean, that that realistically could happen, right? It could. It could. Um. um I like – who could even win the South? Um, I'm going to go ASU. I think ASU wins it. Okay. They take it. I think they win, They do enough down the stretch. That might entail a win at Oregon. But, yeah, I think they do enough. I'm going to uh, stick with my Utah one. Ooh, bold. Bold uh, by bold even I in doing that and picking them to lose to Oregon I this pick, weekend. <laughs> I picked them to lose. <laughs> Well, I'm getting points, right? Or no, am I not? Am I? Yeah, I'm getting. You're getting points. I'm getting yeah, points. Yeah. So I could still do that, but I'm going to stick with my initial. I'm going to. Uh, your argument sold me that they're going to still win a couple of these games without Tyler Huntley. So I don't know how, but we'll see. Um, and I'm, and gonna, I'm going to take North Washington State. I'm yeah, Washington them. State. Washington uh, State. Washington State. ASU for the title. I like it. And you have Washington State Utah rematch. Yes, and I'll take Washington State uh, to win it. And then he says, "Will you guys ever do a meet and greet?" Ryan went to the beanery in Westwood, but Dave, you never returned the favor. So we should yeah, go. Well, yeah, we should go to Atlanta, right? Is that what we got? Yeah, do? you should come to Atlanta. Is there a big? Uh, is the Pac-12 playing in Atlanta next year? <laughs> Washington came. True. Uh, we could have done that. No, we we we'd like to do one at some point. Like Dave, if Dave's out here on the West Coast trip, we'll do something. Yeah. Go to the nine zero. I don't know. We'll do something like that. Oh, the beautiful nine zero. Thanks, Nick. Uh, <laughs> here's a text message. Ryan and Dave love the pod. I'm a Utah fan. In the past, you said uh, you don't think Utah can win the Pac-12 with Kyle. Uh, I don't know if I said that. How how long do you? I'm sorry. Did did you say that, Dave, or did what was? I the, think we talked about it, and I said I was I, I, I beginning to get a little bit skeptical. Okay. I think this is the very beginning of the year, right after their offense just looked like Dookie against Northern Illinois. Okay. Oh, if you ever said anything bad about Utah, then they will remember that because Utah. Oh, I love it. Utah Twitter is very, very. But good. I, I think a lot of there's a split in Utah Twitter. A good half of them are kind of out on Kyle Whittingham. Okay. Like not not really not like oh he's garbage. It's more like. He's never going to get us over the top. Yeah. And I think that's actually a reasonable place to be. And I think that's where this question is going. How long would you stick with him being the coach, winning six to eight games? Uh, I think it means a year and no titles. Is it worth the risk of letting him go to win one or possibly turning it to Cal or OSU? Uh, Dalen in Salt Lake City. He's, he still seems like the perfect fit to me. And I thought, you know, 
with this year, I thought they would get through and and win it. I think you can win it with, uh, especially with some of the turmoil going on. Now, I don't know. Chip Kelly might just make UCLA a power. I, I, who knows? But it seems like it's winnable. Uh, I mean, obviously, all you have to do is not lose. I mean, you a five and four team could win the the, the South. So, I and mean, they could still win it this year. Uh, but I, I wouldn't. I, I just think he's a really good fit. I wouldn't change that. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. Um, I do think that there is an element where maybe they don't have the top end potential because he's not going to make the sacrifices necessary to have a super elite offense sometimes. But this year, I kind of think we saw how that was. They were trying to make that work at the beginning of the year, and it just kind of didn't. I think they have the personnel to kind of run that grounded pound. And once they got back to that, well, weird. They now suddenly have an elite offense for four games before Huntley got hurt. So um, I think you just I, I don't think you can fire him. I don't think you can jettison him. I think he's too good for that. It's not like he's it's not like he's going six and six every year. He is pretty consistently going seven plus wins, eight wins, nine wins even. Um, and this year, I think they were poised to finish 10 and two. You know, I think that ASU game, maybe they lose it anyway, but they were poised to finish nine and three at worst. Um, we'll see how they finish now. Um, but there was a lot to like about this year. And I think there's a lot to like about next year. Um, so there's, uh, I don't and they know. They the brutal schedule too. I mean, they're brutal schedule brutal. this year. We, that was the only reason I picked them fifth actually, because I, I looked at this, I said, Utah's going to be better, but that schedule is heinous. And, uh, they managed it. I thought actually pretty well so far. Yeah. All right. This is from Keon in the Bay area question for the POC. Hey, Ryan and Dave, recent POC listener and first time caller, Dave, keep up the beard. It's magnificent. Ryan, I think you might be the only person associated with you dollar sign S or you dollar sign C. I actually enjoy following on Twitter, but it mostly has to do with your incredible, incredible ability to snark on the team you follow. Dave is also quite adept at this. Dave, talk this UCLA fan off the edge. Will everything be okay? Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. I mean, are you happy and healthy in your life? <laughs> then everything's going to be fine because you're you're having a good life. Um if you're meeting for UCLA football, I have no idea. Um, I'm, I'm, I am f- charitably still on the fence. Um, I don't know what to make of. Honestly, the biggest disconcerting sign for me the last two games has been special teams. I've long been of the theory that special teams is reflective of attention to detail within the program and a lot of those things. And I, whoa, it's been so bad the last two weeks. Worse than it's ever been under, than it ever was under Mora, and Mora was ferocious. Ferocious. Uh, that's not a word. Uh, her, I think it should be. You know what? I'm I'm crowning that a word. They were ferocious. Ferocious. <laughs> I the like last three years. It's great. It's ferociously horrific. Um, uh, but yeah, they were ferocious the last three years. Uh, UCLA under Mora at special teams, but I think the last two games for Chip Kelly have been worse than any two games for Mora. So that's not good. Um, if you're on the optimistic side, I think the offense has clearly made strides um, since the beginning of the year. It clearly looks like a more effective scheme. They're doing some stuff that is getting guys open and they just can't complete passes. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to be a competent team. I mean, I think next year they'll probably be with an easier schedule, something like six and six. That's my guess right now, not knowing how recruiting is going to go and all that other stuff. 
But are they ever going to be like a, I don't know, 10 and 2, 11 and 1 program that's doing elite things and stuff that Chip Kelly did at Oregon? I don't know. That's years away at this point, um, if it's going to happen at all. So I don't know. That probably doesn't talk you off the edge, but it doesn't talk you like, well, it doesn't talk you off the edge either way. It doesn't talk you to back off the edge, but it also doesn't talk you off, talk you off it in terms of leaping. So I think that's a win, right? And if everything's yeah. okay in the rest of your life, you're good. Everything's going to be okay. Um, look, we're all used to UCLA football being horrendous. This is this is fine. This is this is completely fine. This is normal. <laughs> this is this is this is the world turning as it should. <laughs> this session of a chat with David on the couch, sponsored by the podcast of Champions, um, <laughs> it's a therapy session. I guess you just sit down there, stroke your beard, draw little doodles on a notepad that you're not writing anything about the person you're talking to. Just talk, you know, they want to talk off the ledge, David. I don't think you did that. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. Uh, yeah, there's. I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can do it where it's believable at this point. I think it's still based on track record and faith and hope and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't think there have been enough signs that you could say, "Oh, you can point to this thing and this thing and say, oh, it's going to be fine." Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and there's completely rational reasons to still have faith and hope. I mean, I I think that's that's a completely right and good philosophy to have. I'm not that way and I never have been. And so I'm more of the show me and I'm not seeing enough right now. That doesn't mean that it can't suddenly happen or that, you know, suddenly we're going to start to see a lot more of the final three games. I never would have predicted that they would have suddenly surged against Washington and Cal and beaten Cal by 30 points on the road. Like that's not something I would have predicted. So uh, they've, they've shown better than I was expecting them to at different times this year. But yeah. It just hasn't been enough. It hasn't been consistent enough. And the not just lack of linear progress, but to go up and do those two games and then regress to like, uh, again, like just horrific levels. The last two games is just, yeah, ferocious, no, ferocious, no better plan than hope. Right. I mean, just no, exactly. It's like, it's like hope is not a plan. People that be like, you know, really hope we can stop the run. Like, well, that's really not a much of a plan. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do to stop the run? Not, I'm just going to hope that we somehow stop the run. Um, all right. We got Mike in Oakland. He said, Mike in Oakland again, you both have commented on the quality or lack thereof in PAC 12 refereeing. It seems to be going downhill this season. I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it's, it's pretty much where it's been. Uh, there, uh, there was a lot of chatter on the Cougar boards about the, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, Silvell's uh, targeting call on Saturday, the Gustin non-call at USC, and many others. Uh, I wonder from your perspective if you think there is anything a concerned fan can do. Would a petition or email campaign to the Pac-12 get any traction? Do you think the NCAA could step in to demand some action to improve overall quality? I think it's hurting the Pac-12 overall, and someone could get hurt due to poor, inconsistent officiating go Cougs Mike in Oakland okay this is perfect this is Mike in Oakland Mike because the Cougars are good this year it matters to you <laughs> so that, <and> because, <laughs> but this has been the same thing this is not different this is, happens every year but because the Cougars are good now it's important to you but yes this is what the Pac-12 teams all of them have been dealing with forever yeah absolutely and uh yeah, I mean, the Gustin, that Gustin non-call is still one of the most insane things I think I've ever seen in a live football game, where it was just 
wow, he rocketed like it was, you know how they like go through that checklist of the different things that are targeting and they're like, oh, did he launch? Did he lead with the crown of his helmet? Was there intent? Was he a defensive player? And it was like, not only did he check all of those, it was like he was checking them and then underlining it and then like bolding the text. Like, yeah, that's targeting. When you launch at the dude's head with intent, that's targeting. Um, and and, and was it not called because of the earlier one? Exactly. That was it called? That was called in from the yeah. from an executive's couch. It's so like dumb. it's that's it's that's, so that's epic. Pack twelve. Yeah. Oh, we missed, we missed Mike's first question. Oh. Um, Ryan and Dave, love the show. For a couple of fuckla and suck grads, you do a great job and can make two hours of talking go by fast. I enjoyed Dave's humor and most of your analysis is pretty spot on. I am a Cougar fan. I wanted to know your thoughts on the $25,000 fine from the Pac-12. What kind of a-holes fine a school for celebrating one of the best days in a school's sports history? Why can't they get rid of Larry Scott? Keep up the good work and maybe you'll get paid someday. Yeah, I thought that was nonsense. But what I was reading is that uh, Larry Scott ends up waiving those at the end of the year for the crowds rushing the field. Hopefully they do that for Washington State, even though Mike Leach talked bad about him. Yeah. yeah, yeah Mike Leach shouldn't be that talking that bad about him. You're going to have to pay 25 grand. Who cares? 25 grand for some school. Like, I, I don't Who cares? Do you care? I don't care. I don't. Go rush the field whenever you want. I, I have no problem with that. Um, this is from Joshua Herm in caps with many exclamation points. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener, Joshua from Arkansas. So, uh, so just like we drew it up in the preseason, Arizona State controls its own destiny in the Pac-12 South. How do you guys feel about Herm moving forward? Do you think it will slowly fall apart, or does he have momentum on the recruiting trail? And do you think they have a chance against playoff-bound Wazoo in the Pac-12 title game? Uh, I I don't think it's gonna slowly fall. Apart. I don't think it's gonna be great, but it's better than I thought for sure. Uh, I do think they have a chance. I think anyone has a chance against anybody in the Pac-12. So certainly they have a chance against Wazoo in the Pac-12 title game. But it's going to be tough to win out. you got to win three conference games, two on the road. I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, Dave picked you to win it. I, I just picked Utah out of the top of my head. But, um, I, yeah, if they make it there, I think they could beat Wazoo for sure. Yeah, I think that can happen. Um, I think... I don't think there's a whole lot of separation between like the top team in the league, which is now Wazoo and like the ninth team. So ASU is certainly not the ninth team. So yeah, I think they can win a, you know, one game playoff against a uh, Pac-12 opponent. Sure. Nice. Um, how do I feel about Herm? Much better. And as we talked about earlier, um, I don't know if he has a whole lot of momentum on the recruiting trail right now. It looks like their recruiting rankings are pretty similar to years past. Um, but not knowing their full class, I don't know if those are you know really good evaluations or whatever it is. Uh, but right now they're ranked 37th with 21 commits, which yeah, not as good as like mid-era Todd Graham, but still within striking distance of about Arizona State's level. Usually year he, after year, he did finish strong back in February, if you remember. Like, yeah, yeah, he closed really strong. But you know, I mean, Todd Graham ended up with I think three straight top 25 classes at one point. Um, you know, I think Arizona State has some work to get to that point this year, but I think they have something to sell now. I think they'll be able to go into homes in December and say, look what we did on the field. And Herm's obviously got some gravitas to him. He's, a, you know, I think a, a guy that families are going to respect. So, yeah, I think there's there's potential. I, I, Arizona State's recruiting top end like possibility is probably like, I don't know, consistently top 25. Yeah, they could be top 20, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, like that's, get a, an that's, occasional- a, that's a place to go to, though. I mean, you yeah. can sell a lot of stuff. The new, you know, stadium, uh, you know, the upgrade stadium, everything. There's a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm saying occasional top 20. And if you can average top 25, that's great. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. All right. Uh, is it fun times next? You got, oh. Yes. All right. From Alex from Pasadena. Sup, fellas. Quick question. You guys aren't enjoying the free-for-all that is the Pac-12? I mean, any week anyone can win, or is this just really bad football? Thanks. Keep up the quote-unquote good work. Uh, I, have we given off any indication that we're not enjoying this? I revel <laughs> in this. <laughs> I will swim in this pool of feces all day long. It's great. Smells wonderful to me. Yeah. Um, I mean... I, I mean, I mean, to be honest, I would love to see, you know, one or two Pac-12 teams like in the national discussion in the top 10 and stuff like that. It's nice to have Washington State up there, but it's just kind of like this. It's almost like I'm not going to say it's a consolation prize. I don't want to. I'm not trying to talk down to Washington State or anything, but it just seems like everyone else is just beating each other up. And, you know, maybe Washington State ends with three losses, too. I don't know. But it's just not where I'd like it to be. It's something to talk about. It's kind of fun. It, I don't really like not knowing what to expect every week. It's not that you want to know everything that's going on, but it's so different from week to week. Um, it's just the, the parody stuff. I want to see a couple of teams just come out and, and start crushing people. And we just don't have that in the Pac-12. And it's, if you're not doing that, it's hard to be relevant nationally. Uh, but you might get like eight, nine, ten teams make bowl games again. Uh, and then you got to see how they perform in the bowl games too. But yeah, I don't know, man. It, it it could be another rough year. I want to see some positive things for the Pac-12. Yes, it's fun to see just, you know, the 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 gifts of this is fine and everything burning down. But at some point, you're just like, can someone just be good? So maybe that'll be Washington State. Maybe they'll just be good. I love the uncertainty. I love it. Right. It's every, every day is a new treat. Every day is a new treasure. It's beautiful. Um, or a new pile of crap. Nice. Anyway. Uh, all right, I'm going to read the next one because it's long, and then we'll get on a good rhythm heading into these last four nice. questions. Yeah, I was going to ask you to do Hitler Day. Yeah, on thin air. From Hitler Day, Almond, our friend. In regards to Utah's offensive turnaround in October, it's always so funny. He asks the question about the upcoming team that Oregon's <laughs> playing. Uh, I believe you boys have said that if the key was settling into a run-first identity and making the downfield passing game more situational, I thought that philosophy was in peak performance against UCLA last week when they were early only throwing downfield on obvious passing downs in some goal line situations, and even then it was mostly short stuff, with just one deep shot late in the game after it was basically decided. So were you as surprised as I was that even before the unfortunate injury late in the third quarter, Utah had gotten away from that game plan and were having Huntley throw downfield so much against ASU? I believe I counted five downfield shots on first and 10 from Huntley and, of course, two interceptions, and that seemed like a reversion to the unsuccessful September style to me. What did you think was the strategy there? Back in May, I wondered if, based on the way several teams were defending Utah in 2017, Troy Taylor was secretly running an air raid offense, and you said that you thought that was in his background and you could see it in the big splits they were using. Two years in, how do you think the scheme is looking, and is there any chance Whittingham will make yet another change at OC and try to get the pound-the-rock guy? That is something interesting that I didn't consider, but the fact that they had to change the offense kind of on the fly um, at the bye week this year into more of that ground and pound type offense makes me wonder if Troy Taylor's on maybe the way out there. Yeah, uh, Whittingham hasn't necessarily been kind to um, uh, offensive coordinator longevity at Utah. This is the first year where they've retained a guy for two years in yeah. like a decade. Second season. Um, you never put that after the offensive coordinator at Utah. 
And switching back to what looks more like what Whittingham, I think, prefers offensively makes me wonder if he's going to or maybe Taylor might look for jobs. I don't know. And this is speculating entirely from the outside. I just wonder if maybe it's uh, turning into not so great of a fit. Yeah, we'll see um, going forward. I, my gut is he's going to stick around, but I don't know. I mean, we we know what Kyle Whittingham can do, but just if I just had to guess right now, I think he's coming back uh, next year. And just to point this out, because if if we said something like this in hour two of the podcast, Hithliday would send us a whole email about it. But he said uh, when they were really only throwing downfield on obvious passing downs and some goal line situations. I don't know how you throw downfield on a goal line situation, but you know, Hithliday, let me know. Is that is that me? Sorry. <laughs> but you know, if we said that, he would, he would write us and tell us about like, gentlemen. You cannot throw downfield in goal line situations. I wonder if he means short yardage and he was saying, I, I, maybe I'm giving too much benefit of the doubt there. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Let us know. Now we're going to, this is my fault now. I'm going to get an email explaining exactly what this was. <laughs> he meant vertical routes, <laughs> vertical routes at the goal line are possible. <laughs> that little fade from the two, that's a, that's downfield. Okay. Thanks, Hitler. It, it is true. It is downfield. He has a point. Those aren't <laughs> lateral throws. <laughs> All right, this is from Anthony. Podcast question. Hey, Ryan and Dave, I think having two SEC teams, Georgia and Alabama, one ACC team, Clemson, and one independent, Notre Dame, will lead to a change in the college football playoff. Do you feel the same way? Imagine in an 18 playoff, Washington State versus Alabama. That would be awesome. And then with a question mark. It would be so cool. It <laughs> would be awesome. Uh, what is the seal? Oh, sorry. Well, I guess that's a that's one point. What What do you feel about that? I, I do feel that would lead to it. I don't know if it would be immediate. I think it would be the same way that like LSU-Alabama title game sort of led to the playoff. I think it would be a couple years away, but yeah. I think it would. I think it would, too. I don't I don't think it's that – it's, it's going to be hard for Georgia to get in uh, because they already have a loss, right? And then they would lose again to, to – only if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC. No, it's title. the same thing. Yeah, if Georgia beats Alabama – but Alabama only has the one loss to Georgia yeah. then Alabama's in for sure. And Georgia will be in. Right. But I, I just don't see them losing. I think the sec is going to like only get one team in this year, but that scenario where you got two sec, one ACC and an independent, you're leaving out the big 12, the big 10 and the pac 12 pac 12 is used to it. Uh, the other conferences, not as much, maybe a little bit more of the big 12. Um, so yeah, I think having three conferences of the five, out of the playoff would get you there eventually. But like, like Dave said, not right away. Yeah. And then he says, what is the ceiling with David Shaw? I'm beginning to feel the ceiling is not a national championship, but maybe a college football playoff appearance. I think that's fair. I think there's just too many mistakes. Uh, I think there's, he gets too stubborn about certain things and some really good teams that I think can do some really good things. But I feel like some of the decisions he makes where it's like a high horse sort of decision uh, doesn't help his team as far as winning the way he's, it's like winning the way you want to win versus winning the, the way your team is kind of built or, or, you know, would be successful winning. Yeah. I mean, he's still, uh, I, I, I always pump the brakes a little bit on pronouncing Stanford kind of not dead. I mean, you did just say that they're high end is yeah. college football. No, I think they're dead. But I don't think they're going to win a national championship like that. Yeah. I mean, you could make an argument that 
they were among the best teams in the country in 2015, and they were basically that weird, screwed-up game against Northwestern from probably being in the playoff that year. Um, I don't know. They haven't looked good of late. Um, Defensively, they've kind of fallen off now for the last few years and haven't really put together an elite defense in a while, which is maybe the one thing that's given me pause. Um, I think they'll figure it out offensively. I think they've got a weird confluence of factors this year. Um, I think he probably needs to jettison Tavita Pritchard as OC. I don't think that is working out. Um, The offense has just taken too long to adjust. I don't know how big of a hand David Shaw has in it, but I don't think he's getting any assistance from his assistant. Um, And go get some guy from the Harbaugh tree who's not a former player who, you know, can bring a little bit of that. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't think Tim Drevno was any good as Harbaugh's OC up at Michigan, was he? No. But, you know, somebody, <laughs> somebody. Yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. But I, I don't think, I don't think Pritchard's that guy. So, um, yeah, this is probably right. Um, but they were really close at a couple of points. So I yeah. don't want to pronounce it like that it's done, that they won't win a title. Because I think they were really, 2011, they were really good. 2012, they were really good. And 2015, again, they were that one really awful game against Northwestern from playing in the playoff that year. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you want to do about the next one. I'll read it. The, the whole Look, we've, thing? Only got, we've only got two more. Okay, but this is long, and it's like we're over two hours. Okay. Well, do what you can, do what you can with it. All right, this is from Shane. Hi, Ryan, the podcast die guy. I almost said it's die. It's so again. hard. It's like two hours and it's a long time to talk. I <laughs> made up read. a word earlier. I made <laughs> up a word, Ryan. I said herocious, <laughs> which is incredible. It's like words aren't uh, coming out of my mouth anymore. Yeah. Hi, Dave, you beautiful bearded socialist. Here are some coaching <laughs> suggestions for finishing out the division races. Pac-12 South, doesn't matter, whatever. Four losses get it done here, maybe even five. The 2011 UCLA team that won the South with eight losses could probably win this division. Not a good thing. Just show up on time and you've got a chance to play in front of an empty Levi Stadium on a Friday. (laughs) Pac-12 North, Cal, put a boot on Brandon McElwain, even if he's not hurt. Just as an inescapable reminder to never put him in the game. Make sure he's standing on a bench with the red-shirting freshman wearing a towel over his head or he will throw an interception. Don't even let him have a headset. Hoodie, boot, sling, full body cast, whatever it takes. That guy cannot have the ball in his hands. Fair. Stanford, if you have two minutes left and no timeouts, set yourself up with one wholesale personnel package that can run every play necessary to drive the field. We got Bryce Love out there and some big guys. Cool. Let's roll with that. You can't sub players on third and one with the clock running. The clock starts on first downs after a short stoppage, and the defense gets a chance to match based on the look. I know two minutes feels like an eternity in college football. Maybe it's even long enough to will a change in the rules of football or even linear time just through sheer NFL-level stubbornness. Maybe not. I don't have a Stanford education. I don't know how to fold the universe. Oregon, Puddles doing an Air Jordan impression on Saturday was a great reminder that you're affiliated with Nike. I had forgotten, so thanks. Keep it up. (laughs) Oregon State, you do you. Your offense is going to be really good. It was clear on day one against Ohio State that you could scheme movement even against elite teams. You're just not very talented. Get more (laughs) defensive dudes that committed to Nebraska or Hawaii, and you'll be fine. Washington, is there a way to rig Jake Browning's helmet with the buzz timer from Taboo set to two seconds? Joel Klatt and Rod Gilmore have tried to convince me that Jake Browning is cool and calm under pressure, but I'm not sure that phrase means what they think it means. <laughs> Instead of coach communication pre-play, if his helmet just 
<laughs> if his helmet just started buzzing two seconds after the snap and he was forced to throw the ball out of bounds at that point, this team would be 9-1. and one. <laughs> Washington State, you better figure out how to get the guys behind the UW corners because the whole deal with the quick passes into short spaces against Pete Kwiatkowski, Jimmy Lake's defense just hasn't worked. If you can do that once or twice, you're going to Santa Clara to play the 2011 UCLA Bruins. Have fun. <laughs> Did you know Rick Neuheisel plays guitar? Oh, okay, this is a good show. <sighs> this is great. I'm I glad mean, I read it's it. a long, it's it's hard, but it's worth but it. But this, this is, is all right, so everyone out there, if you're going to write a long email, this is how you do it. Yeah. All right. My question. Do you have one tactical suggestion for evaluating in an offensive coordinator? I realize it's probably one of the most nuanced and misunderstood roles in football. I'd love your take on watching an offense develop or stagnate over time and what the OC's role is in that development. It seems most fan evaluations of OCs are limited to play works. Our players are good. Our head coach is good. Play fails. Our offensive coordinator is bad. Why did our OC throw the ball to that guy? Grumble, 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 wildcat, scoff, scoff, bubble screens. We should have called a different play that would have worked. Rinse, repeat. Until OC is fired or promoted to head coach somewhere else. What say you, your friend and compatriot? Shane. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is really good. Um, Very good, Shane. The way I evaluate offensive coordinators, it's really pretty simple. Um, I don't care very much about like what the scheme looks like, but do you have a reasonable number of easy conversions per game? Like, are you getting guys open? And is it basically, does it look really hard? Like, so USC is a great example of this. When they do things offensively, you're like, damn, that looks way harder than it should be. Like, it's receivers making catches over guys and just having to win one-on-one every single time and not scheming guys open. Um, that's bad offense. Uh, but when you see, like, Chip Kelly right now, you see his offense, it's looking pretty good. Even though it looks like crap from a stats perspective still, they're getting guys open. And um, receivers aren't making catches, but they're still open. Um, and, you know, if... If the ball was a spear, it would kill a lot of these receivers. And I think that's important to consider. Um, so uh, that's one of the big things I look for. And then a lesser thing, because this could be kind of position coach dependent, but I think a good offensive coordinator has command over his player personnel. Do you have the right guys in on certain plays? UCLA has had a number of years where they put their big slow receivers in at the slot and then have them run like reverses and end arounds and all that kind of garbage. And it's always... Just why do you have that guy in there right then? Um, I think good offensive coordinators have command of their personnel at all different positions and understand how to fit things to those guys. Um, so combination of two things, and I think they're linked. It's if it looks easy, like if it looks like guys are getting just open with consistency, like they're getting five yards of space when they get the ball or a running back is running through wide lanes. That's not always on the offensive line. That's a lot of times on how are they moving the line? What are they doing in the scheme to get big gaps in the defense? Um, if you see those things a lot, that's a good offensive coordinator. And I, I know it sounds obvious, but I think that's that's where it starts for me. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think there can be some confusion. If you look at where they came from, I think that helps a lot. Uh, and seeing where, where are they doing? I mean, I always look for the trees and there's, you know, guys, that, you know, the how mummies or whatever, like people that are at the top of these whatever the offensive scheme is, there's someone that, you know, came up with it. You know, there's a lot of people that came out, you know, from under Chip Kelly. Um, where did you learn this stuff from? Did you just pick it up and it's like, oh, I'm going to call this because um, that's what's hot right now? Or did did you learn it from one of these offensive gurus? I think if you see that, 
um, you can feel better about it. But like what Dave was saying, you know, you if you're if you're breaking down film, you're watching the team play and you're seeing very similar plays, something in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, and you see an offense, you know, a defense adjusting to something or, you know, how do they impact this formation and the way you ran this play and you can run plays off of that. So if you see like, Oh, they set that play up because they ran this and they saw what the defense did. And then they ran a reverse off it later on or whatever. Like you see, there's a reason behind the plays being called and not just, you know, things being pulled out of a bag. And I think the thing that makes it hard is there's so many moving pieces that you don't know. I think it's clearer at a place like Washington state where there's not even an offensive coordinator listed. Right. But a lot of places you have an offensive coordinator, but he doesn't call the plays. Maybe he's the offensive coordinator that's calling the plays, but he didn't come up with the offense. It's more the head coach's offense. I think it can get muddled uh, and things like that. So sometimes it's not always clear. You might be get blaming an offensive coordinator who's, yeah, he's calling the plays, but he doesn't really, he didn't have anything to do with where the offense came from. Uh, things like that can happen too. So it's it's not easy for sure. But I think you you know if you're really going to watch and break down film and see and you know whose responsibility is what, is it a committee thing? If it's a committee offense, it, it's probably not that good to begin with. But if it's coming from, you know, you know what Mike Leach is doing and where he's coming from, that's pretty clear. And then you can evaluate, you know, based on the way he's able to do things. You, you can look at that offense and go, yeah, that's something that works really well. And other ones, it's it's a little harder to tell, I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, Steve in Salt Lake, bitter Utah fan. This is our last one. Uh, hey guys, just want to direct some of my ire towards whatever doofus was in charge of the schedule making this year. As if Utah's schedule wasn't tough enough by missing Cal and Oregon State, not only did the Pac-12, unlike the other Power 5 conferences, schedule back-to-back conference games for the majority of their teams. I think he means back-to-back conference road games. Utah is the only team in the conference that had back-to-back conference road games twice. Washington State, Stanford, and oh, then UCLA. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So, so if you look at Utah's schedule, uh, week, uh, oh, week five, they're at Washington State, and then week six at Stanford. They had Arizona USC at home. And then week nine, they were at UCLA. Week 10 uh, at Arizona State. Uh, he he forgot the the road part, but that's what he's meaning by this. Uh, what I'm really saying, and he, each time they let off with their toughest home games, it was Washington at home, followed by at Washington State at Stanford. <laughs> then it was USC at home, followed by at UCLA at ASU. Crazy. That's uh. <sighs> he says what I'm really saying is Utah may once again lose the South this time at the hands of Herm Edwards. And that makes me super depressed. Thanks for the podcast, Dave and Ryan. I'm glad you guys, your guys' collarbones are intact. Steve in Salt Lake. Yeah, that feels so bad for Utah fans. That's rough. I mean, yeah, you you would like, no one in the SEC has to do that once. And, and Utah's doing it twice. Oh man, it's it's bad. And then like, they were even handling it well. And had a chance to win that game, and then quarterback goes down. I mean, I feel bad for Tyler Huntley, obviously, but Utah fans, brutal. The uh, whole thing is brutal. It's, uh, yeah, that's not, that's no bueno, dude. Yeah. Well, uh, we well, are. Well, two and a half hours later. Yeah. Two hours and <laughs> 21 minutes. Not that we have lives or anything. I no. thought, I thought we only had, you know, we had one extra, we had one less game to preview. So I thought it'd be a little shorter, but I didn't realize we had, I think it was 19 emails we ended up with. So we read them all. Um, yeah, we got to stop doing that. Most of them all. But yeah, it's hard. 
but there, there have been some really good ones that are short that are good. Uh, but if you're going to do something long, it has to be like Shane's because that was really good. Yeah, what, that is, was funny. Has Shane written Not before? Is he new? I don't know. Shane's on Twitter. I know Shane's on Twitter. Okay. Um, yeah, he's written before. He, he was, okay. uh, he was, uh, I think he's written some funny stuff before. He was the Pac-12 slogans guy too. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. Cool with that. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, that is David Woods, the bearded man. I am Ryan Abraham. Uh, a little scruff right now, but no beard. Uh, we are the podcast of champions. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.